2: So this show is going no further until I get Roman Reigns right here in the middle of this ring.
3: This is the song that doesn't end. Yes, it goes on and on, my friend. Some people started singing it not knowing what it was And they'll continue singing it forever just because This this is the song song that doesn't end Yes, it goes on and on Not what it was And they continue it I can't believe you guys
0: King Corbin's gonna have to eat dog food
3: uh, uh, uh. Okay, I've had it. That's, it that's it, that's it What are you doing? Some people started no it Not it No! This is the last time, right? This is it. This is it. This is it. Here comes the big dog! It's business time, baby.
4: The Sala Monster sounds aww. It's such good shit.
3: Mama Monster conquered the street! We like fighting a woman?
0: Oh my god, we're only an hour in. We have two more hours of this.
3: Come over here and fight me! Fight me! You <laughs> even could beat up properly! Woo! <laughs>
4: Homer Simpson is beyond excited. The XFL is back. They hosted the first two games yesterday of the new XFL relaunch to a largely positive response from what I could see. I caught part of both games. There was one on ABC, one on Fox in the afternoon. And on day one alone, today is day two. There's actually more games this afternoon, but on day one, We got a player dropping an F-bomb live on the air during a sideline interview that the censors tried to uh, catch. They tried to bleep it out, but they failed. We got a punt kick blocked and returned for a touchdown, and a receiver lined up for a one-point conversion, and projectile vomited all over the field. As uh, Vince McMahon would say, this is the X-F-F. Surprised we didn't have him come out and do the uh, the intro like he did 20 years ago. I guess he learned his lesson. He really does want to remove himself from the process, so that's good. That's a positive first step. But really, it was actually a very good start for the league. It's only one day. Uh, I still think Vince is going to lose his ass on this. I know he expects to for the first three years. He's going to lose uh, several hundred million dollars on this. And then he expects that he'll finally, you know, break even and start turning a profit. But I'm not convinced that's going to happen. I hope it does. Now, I hope it does for the 400 employees they have. I don't want to see people lose their jobs. But there was a lot of praise for, you know, the innovative kickoff, the miking of the coaches. And the biggest change may have been the transparency in the recall booth, you know, to make sure they get each call right whenever there's any kind of controversy or ruling that has to be made. You can now see and hear the interaction between the replay official in the booth and the referees on the field. Uh, You kind of get an an insight into the process and, and what their thought process is. Instead of just sitting there waiting for a decision to be rendered, they bring you into the process. You know, you get a live look at what they're saying and they're explaining their calls and why they came to their decision. I'm not sure why the NFL doesn't already do this. Uh, But I'll bet you anything that they start doing it in the next couple of seasons because of the XFL. You know, as much of an embarrassment as the league turned out to be the first time, the way they ran that thing. After the XFL died back in 2001, the NFL adopted that sweeping overhead camera angle. They took that from the XFL. And and people have credited the XFL with that as as one of those lasting innovations that, that lasted beyond the life of the league. I think it's very likely that some of these changes are going to end up inspiring the NFL to do the same in the coming season. So if nothing else, that'll be the legacy of the XFL. I don't know if this thing is going to succeed or not in the long term. But I think in the long term, a lot of what you're seeing now, you will see in the NFL uh, in the next few years. And again, you know, I'm not the biggest football fan. I don't have to watch every football game that's on. Uh, So I'm not going to be watching every weekend. But what I saw looked fun, and people seemed to largely enjoy it. So a a good first impression for the XFL. We'll see how day two goes today. Uh, A good first impression. So long as we don't see our truth being chased onto the field by a bunch of job guys in the middle of the game chasing after the 24-7 title. Uh, Or is it Mojo Rawley now? I think Mojo Rawley is the champion, I believe. At least Mojo Rawley was a football player. That would kind of make sense, but they need to not do that. Uh, by the way, all you UK folks who want to check out the XFL, uh, if you have BT Sport, not only do they carry WWE now, they carry the XFL as well, which I did not know, so hat tip to Ben on Facebook for pointing that out to me. This is episode 638 of the Sala Monster Sounds Off for Sunday, February 9th, 2020. I am the Sala Monster. Uh Audible is offering listeners of this very podcast the opportunity to get one free audiobook of your choosing for free. There's a catch. There's a small catch. All you got to do is sign up for a 30-day trial of the service. Just use our link, audibletrial.com slash Salomonster. It helps the podcast out immensely when you do so. Use that link, sign up, and you get to pick one free book of your choice that you keep no matter what, even if you cancel before the trial is over. So audibletrial.com slash And of course, if you want to make a PayPal donation, you may do so. On the Solomonster.com, right hand side of the page, you'll see the PayPal button. Or a more direct way, if you just want to pop in an email address and use an email, you can use the at gmail.com. And uh, actually I think when you do so, more of the money actually <laughs> goes to me instead of uh PayPal fees. So that might be the better way to go. But ten dollars or more will get you a nickname and a shout out. I want to Shout out the Portland pop star, Paul Hamilton, Deadpool, James Herrera, John Loose Cannon Lopez, the Florida Freebird, Brian Passera, out of control, Cody Thomas, Kill Shot Keith Hart, Velvet Revolver, Robert Murray, Steven Handyman, Hallistick, the Chicago Slayer, Willie Eichard, Michael Rambo Reap, the Diamond Dallas Dance Machine, Harrison Soep, Mass Debate Featherweight, Matt Fate. Georgia Bulldog Terrence Hickman, Jared Dark Knight Mosterio, Kingmaker Christos Calansis, John Raging Mad Riffle, first time donator, and another one, first time donator, Confuse and Conquer, Ian Martin, who called into my Dynamite live stream a few weeks ago. He's been listening since 2013 when he was a wee bit sophomore in high school and now he's a senior in college, so. I love hearing that on the one hand. On the other hand, it makes me feel old. So thank you for that. Cameron the Crusher Johnson wants you to tune in to the C&E Wrestling Podcast every Wednesday where Cameron and Escobar review the good, the bad, and the ugly in WWE, AEW, and other promotions. All you got to do is visit C&E. That's the letter C, the word and, and the letter E. Wrestlingpodcast.dotpodbean.dot.com. So C and E Wrestling Podcast at pod or .podbean rather, com. and uh, that's where you can download new episodes of the podcast. Wilfredo Pandemonium Flores he is running a free giveaway for a one hundred dollar Jack's WWE title replica on his Instagram page at David Portchop. To enter, all you got to do is follow him on Instagram, like the post. Tag at least two of your Instagram friends and comment on why you want the belt, why you feel you deserve the belt. You can be as creative as you want to be. Entries are open through March 1st. So again, that's at David Porkchop on Instagram. I also want to play you this short clip off the debut album dropping soon from the band No Traffic. This is a Song or from a song, what you're about to hear called Disconnected.
5: Sitting on no-
4: I like their sound. That was called Disconnected. They also have a track called Time on that same album that is out now on all streaming platforms. And they will also be on tour this March. All dates are available on their website at notraffic.com forward slash tour. And keep in mind that's spelled traffic with a K. So again, no traffic with a K dot com slash tour. Uh, Glenn, shout out to Glenn, born awesome123 on iTunes, thank you for the iTunes review. He doesn't even use the Apple Podcast app, but he downloaded it just so he could drop five stars and leave a review for the sound of, so thank you, my friend, that means a lot. We are going to open here, there is so much to cover, I don't know how I'm going to fit it all in, I just don't, it's like trying to fit ten pounds of shit in a five pound bag. We're going to try, but boy is there a lot to get to, and we're going to start with... The New Japan, New Beginning, and Osaka show that concluded only a few hours ago, earlier this morning. I didn't know if I'd have a chance to watch it. I delayed the start of recording this podcast just so I can fit in the main matches on this show. I was so looking forward to, especially Moxley and Suzuki. Now, I know some people maybe haven't watched the show yet. You're going to. So, this is your spoiler warning. I am going to get into spoilers here. If you do not want to hear about what happened... Uh, You can skip ahead. I don't know, uh, I figure, I don't know, maybe uh, 10 or 15 minutes is probably a safe bet. Uh, Or just pause the podcast, watch New Japan, then come back and listen. I don't know what to tell you. But this is your spoiler warning, so you have been forewarned. They were sold out at the Osaka Joe Hall, over 11,000 people for the show. The biggest announcement, they made a whole a bunch of announcements during the show. Kind of like what they do with upcoming events during Wrestle Kingdom. They kind of lay things out, their calendar for the year. The biggest announcement is that New Japan is returning to Madison Square Garden in New York for an event they are calling Wrestle Dynasty this summer on August 22nd. That is a Saturday night. That is their first trip back to MSG since the sellout with ROH uh, for the, super card, the G1 Supercard last April. Uh, and there was a lot of talk that MSG was not going to welcome in other wrestling promotions. AAA tried to run a show there last uh, fall, I believe, and did so poorly in the advanced sales that they moved the show next door to the theater at Madison Square Garden. where they I think they got about 4,000 people in there, but um, less so WWE telling them, hey, you can't do this. And it was more just a case of MSG kind of reading the tea leaves and saying, you know... There really isn't anybody else who's going to be able to come in and and pack this place. So we'll just kind of stick with WWE. But I guess they realize, you know, New Japan was a big part of that sellout last April. I would even say the the entire reason that show sold out had to do with the New Japan involvement, not so much Ring of Honor. And they said, fuck it, we'll bring back New Japan. And so this time they're going solo. Uh, Now... You know, since we're we're starting to see some more cohesion between R.O.H. and New Japan, I, I suppose it's possible that we will get uh a Ring of Honor presence on that show. Marty Skrull is, is sort of the bridge now between the two promotions. They they they're really rekindling their relationship of late. So yeah, we may get Ring of Honor involvement on the show in some way. Uh but that's a big deal. You know, New Japan is gonna be effectively hosting their own show for the first time at Madison Square Garden. And also, this will be running head to head against the NXT TakeOver show that very same night in Boston. That is SummerSlam weekend. So there's going to be some head to head action going on that night. We also learned that the start of the G1 climax, G1 climax 30, will take place September 19th and September 20th. Of course, the finals are set already for October 16, 17, and 18 because of the. Uh, Olympics. The G1 is being delayed by a few months this year, hence the late start. And their TV show, World Pro Wrestling, is returning in April at 8pm on Friday nights on the satellite station BS Asahi in Japan, which is not to be confused with their main TV Asahi channel. Uh, so this doesn't really do anything for you if you're a, a US fan, <laughs> You know, ever since they were booted off Access. There's still no word on any kind of US TV deal. Uh, But I guess that's kind of a big deal if you are a New Japan uh, fan over in Japan. So those are the announcements. Now, I watched the last four matches of this New Beginning show this morning before I uh, hit the record button here. Kota Ibushi was back in action after missing the New Beginning tour in the U.S. He was very, very sick. He had what was called Mallory Weiss syndrome. And I guess he's all better now because he was back in action. He teamed up with Tanahashi, Juice Robinson, and David Finley. In a win over the Gorillas of Destiny, Yujiro Takahashi and Chase Owens. Uh, and Okada tagged with Will Ospreay to beat Zack Sabre Jr. and Tai Chi. I did not see either one of those matches. I picked things up with the sonata J White match. The last uh, four matches or so on this card. The key ones. And Sonata against Jay White. There was a spot in this match where Sonata spiked himself. On top of his own head when he was trying to use the ropes for leverage to to get over for a standing slice bread couldn't quite get over enough landed right on top of his head that was scary he didn't miss a beat but when you see it in real time it's scary uh ghetto got involved a whole bunch of times as he does in most jay white matches uh, white picks up the win after dropping sonata with the blade runner i hate that sonata is always losing i mean jay white is a fantastic heel i will give him his just due he's great in that role Uh, I could do without, uh, you know, as much ghetto as as they give us in these matches. But I hate that Sonata is always losing. You know, now maybe it's part of a longer story with him, being the only member of LIJ to not really find much in the way of major uh, single success on his own. I think it's getting a little old, though. You know, I like Sonata. I think he should uh, be higher than where he is. As a match, though, I thought it was good. Then we had Hiromo. Hiromu Takahashi against Ryu Lee for the Junior Heavyweight Championship. What can I say about this match? (laughs) This match was the definition of insanity. Uh, They got into a chop battle, and I'd say five minutes into this match, they were chopping the shit out of each other. I'm surprised they didn't cave each other's chests in. Gino Gambino, he was on commentary. He made reference to a uh, Kenta Kobashi chop battle. He had many of those. I remember the one he had with Samoa Joe. But he made reference to a Kobashi chop battle that once lasted about four and a half minutes straight. This one lasted, I think this one lasted as long if not longer. They had little breaks in between. But this was like the never-ending chop battle. And they were not holding back. They were, you would think, a couple of uh, junior heavyweights here. How brutal could it be? This was, this was brutal. (laughs) This was brutality watching this. Uh, There was a jumping Rana from Ryu Lee from the inside of the ring over the ropes caught Hiromu on the apron took him all the way down to the floor Hiromu's body bounced off the floor and there's not exactly a lot of real estate out there between the guardrail and the ring so you've got to really you've got to time this just perfectly otherwise you're going to go just hurling right into the guardrail but he didn't uh maybe he should have maybe it would have maybe it would have felt better than uh, bouncing off the floor so as if that wasn't insane enough. Lee positions Hiromu on top of the metal barricade. He basically sits him on top of the guardrail. And they're right he's right in front of where all the announce desks are. And Ryu Lee gets back into the ring and he does this running tope through the ropes. He collides with Hiromu and both men tumble backwards onto the announce desk and then roll down onto the floor. Holy shit. Holy shit. This was insane. Uh, But you expected nothing less from these two, I I guess. I mean, you really kind of, you know what you're getting into when these two are in the ring together. Hiromu came right back, sunset bomb out of the ring, power bombs Lee from the apron down to the floor. Uh, Lee came back, double stomped Hiromu, Hiromu was hanging down from the top rope, double stomped him all the way down to the floor. Hiromu gave Lee an overhead judo throw from the apron down to the floor. These fucking guys were killing themselves out there. A Hiromu bomb from the floor, or from the top rope, rather, down all the way to the floor. Uh, We got a German suplex sequence between the two. Hiromu Hiromu just came back from 18 months away from a broken neck. You would never know it. He's certainly not taking it easy. It's funny, when I was watching the chop battle, I thought to myself, okay, maybe this is kind of his way of taking things a little bit easy, right? Well, just chop the shit out of each other. And that was brutal enough. But then he just came right back and started doing all this shit. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> right back to the old Hiromu. Kevin Kelly, I think he had a comment here. He said it best. He said, these two bring out the best and the worst in each other. Which is absolutely true. It took two time bombs from Hiromu. The first one didn't look good at all. So he hit it a second time. And he finally got the win. He retains the championship. What a match. What a match. I almost felt guilty watching it, but what a match. The, the, the words escaped me for what we saw here. This was, uh, this, this was like a, a car crash, is what this was. I think they probably would have come out of a car crash in better shape than they did here in this match. Then we had the match... That I was waiting for. John Moxley defending his IWGP United States Championship against Minoru Suzuki. I've been waiting for this and looking forward to this since Moxley arrived in New Japan. Moxley came out of the crowd. He had his pirate eye patch on, although it came off pretty quickly after that. Still selling the uh, AEW injury. He comes out through the crowd, puts his belt down, and promptly turns around and walks up the ramp. Turns around and motions for Suzuki to come meet him up there. So, Suzuki obliges. First, he grabs two chairs from ringside. A very kind man, right? He's going to grab one for himself. Very considerate. He grabs one for Moxley as well. So, Moxley has a chair. Suzuki has a chair. And they begin with a duel. Who needs a fucking lightsaber when you've got a steel chair? So, they have this this chair duel to begin. So, this is going about as well as you would have expected it to. Sounds about right. Moxley gets the better of it. He ends up sprawled out, though, across uh, a bunch of seats in the crowd while Suzuki hits him with a piece of the metal guardrail. This is only in the first, like, three minutes of the match. So finally, they get into the ring. They're biting each other. They spill back outside the ring. And Moxley pulls a table out from underneath the ring. Suzuki, though, he gets Moxley's arm. He places it inside of a chair. So the whole pilmanized thing, right? He puts his his. his right forearm his arm into the chair he lays it across this table moxley's on his knees he's got his hand across the table suzuki grabs the second chair and he smashes the other one with moxley's arm trapped inside so the announcers are are selling this they're screaming moxley's arm is broken suzuki takes the arm and he, he slams it into the post oh my god moxley's arm is broken
5: Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
4: Suzuki gets him in an arm bar on the apron. And Moxley muscles him up and he manages to power bomb him through the table outside. And they zoom in on Minoru Suzuki's face. And Suzuki is smiling as if he enjoyed it. He gets up. He grabs a piece of the broken table. He starts whacking himself in the head with it. Moxley sees this. He's back in the ring. He's got a piece of the table. He's doing the same thing. He's hitting himself in the head with a piece of this table. These two should have had a straitjacket match. Because they both belong in one. So they exchange forearms. Moxley is selling the uh, the arm is hurting, so he has to start using his left hand. Moxley hits the elevated Death Rider. Suzuki kicks out. He becomes the first person to kick out of the elevated Death Rider. Now it's Moxley. He grabs two chairs. He gives one to Suzuki to use. Red Shoes is trying to take the chairs away. He gets shoved down. And Moxley smashes the chair over Suzuki's head. He breaks the uh, the seated part of the chair off. And Suzuki, again, they zoom in on him, and he's standing there, and he is smiling. He is smiling. He gives Suzuki a double-arm DDT onto the chair. They get back up. Suzuki is on spaghetti legs. He starts slapping himself in the face to try to fire himself up. He slaps the shit out of John Moxley. Moxley comes back, second elevated Death Rider, and he gets the three-count. To retain the championship. This was so much fun to watch. I thought Suzuki might have a chance. I really did. I, I didn't think it was a foregone conclusion. Uh, that Moxley was going to win. So for me anyway. There was a little bit of drama. I thought I, I, I would have picked him to win. But I wasn't 100% sure. So there was a little bit of drama down the stretch for me. And I certainly wouldn't have minded. I think it's a crime that Suzuki has not been the IWGP champion. I mean the guy is what? 51? 52? He's as good as ever. I love watching Minoru Suzuki matches. He's great. You put him in there with a guy like Moxley and that brawling style that he has when he's uh, over there in New Japan. He's like a totally different performer. So this was a lot of fun. This was exactly what I expected it to be. I wouldn't mind seeing it again, frankly. Uh, Although it seems like Moxley now is moving on. When the match was over, Zack Sabre Jr., the British heavyweight champion, he runs out, he attacks Moxley, hits him in the head with the title uh, with the U.S. title, I think it was. Chokes him out with a sleeper hole, puts the body scissors on. Moxley is out. And uh, so Moxley now has his next opponent in New Japan. They're going to have the Brit against the American in a New Japan ring. Main event was Tetsuya Naito against Kenta for both of Naito's belts, the IWGP and IWGP Intercontinental title. All of the Bullet Club members are in the ring. Red Shoes get shoved down before the bell even rings. And so he throws them all out. Throw out all the bums. I thought this was, it it turned into a very good match at the end. I thought it was very slow. For like the first 12 to 15 minutes. Just very methodical. You know, a little too much for my liking. Plus, I was just like, (laughs) alright, I got a show to do here. So let's speed things up a little bit. That might have been part of my problem here. But there was an Avalanche Rana by Naito. Hits uh, Gloria, gets a near fall. Goes for the Destino. It gets countered. Red Shoes takes a bump. Out comes Jay White. Jay White comes down. He attacks Naito. Bushi arrives. He spits mist, but it misses. He gets laid out. Hiromu comes out. He finally takes out Jay White. Naito counters the GTS attempt by Kenta into a reverse DDT. Kenta shoots him into the corner. And Naito collides headfirst. There's the uh, top turnbuckle had been exposed earlier in the match. No turnbuckle padding, nothing. Naito goes headfirst into the buckle. And he comes up busted wide open. You don't see that very often in New Japan. But the blood definitely added to the drama of the final few minutes of this. I mean, his face was just covered in, in crimson. And the GTS is countered into a Poison Rana. And uh, Valencia for a two-count by Naito. Naito finally hits the Destino. It only took one! I'm so used to seeing uh, four, five, six, seven different Destinos here. Same thing with the Rainmakers. But he hit one good Destino. He got the pin. He's got the blood-covered face. This really picked up in those final few minutes. Uh, But I'd have to say my favorite match of the show. It's hard because Moxley and Suzuki, I was very partial going into this. But how do you vote against whatever the hell that was between... Hiromu and Ryu Lee. Uh, I'm going to go with Moxley and Suzuki as personal preference. That was my favorite. But the, uh, the junior heavyweight title match was just insanity. So Naito gets on the mic. He's covered in blood. He calls out Hiromu. Says, come on down. Takahashi comes out. He wants Hiromu next. As is, I guess, uh, the tradition where the IWGP champion wrestles the uh, junior heavyweight champion. So they're sticking with tradition on this. And Hiromu comes out and he reminds Naito of something that Naito said to him before he left for his excursion. When he said that the two of them are going to have a match once he gets back. So, of course, Hiromu's answer is yes. So I guess the question now is, will Hiromu become uh, Takahashi three belts? if we assume that both of Naito's belts are going to be on the line in their match. And that was the show. So a very strong, again, I didn't see the first, uh, you know, the the tag matches. But as far as the singles matches, the key matches on the show, I thought this was an excellent show, what I saw. Uh, If I had to rate it on a scale of 1 to 10, this was an easy 8, I would say. Maybe even, I might even go 8.5. Really good stuff. And one last thing I want to mention about Minoru Suzuki. It was announced this week that Suzuki is going to be wrestling Orange Cassidy at Joey Janela's Spring Break show in Tampa the Friday before WrestleMania. It almost makes me want to fly to Tampa this year just for that show alone. Although I suppose I already am. I'm wrestling Minoru Suzuki. Now you know why I'm not going to WrestleMania this year. I'm going to be attending my own funeral. But I, I bring this up because I do laugh at some of the people I saw shitting on the match as though it is somehow beneath Minoru Suzuki to do comedy, to do, to do like a comedy match like this, or have to sell for a guy like Orange Cassidy. Oh my god, guy, why would Suzuki do something like this? The guy dressed up as Bruiser Brody years ago, and wrestled as Bruiser Minotti. <laughs> he did an empty arena match once in the Tokyo Dome that was total comedy, and very entertaining if you ever want to look it up, by the way. He's wrestled women and sold for them. He was in a battle royal, you know, wrestling a young Riho once. You know, and he's also beaten the crap out of some of these women for an uncomfortably long period of time, like he did with Asuka many years ago. Uh, That was tough to watch. But the point is, he has done comedy. He does it his way. It does not hurt his mystique at all whatsoever. I think it's great. So my advice to these people is very simple. Smile. Smile a little bit. Crack a smile. I promise it doesn't hurt. Just crack a smile. You might actually enjoy yourself. On Thursday, WWE released their fourth quarter numbers for 2019, which was at the low end of expectations, but not as bad, I think, as some people had feared. Uh, The company had its biggest quarter in history, with $322 million in revenue and $69 million in in profits, 69. There's that number again. I told you I'm a child. Uh, which on the surface sounds great, but the stock still slid even more because while they beat market projections and profits, they fell short on the income side by more than $10 million. And so the stock closed on Friday down to $42 a share. They were at 62 less than two weeks ago, and they were around $100 a share about a year ago so there's still a lot of uncertainty about around this company right now hence i think uh, why you're seeing the stock number uh, go down even a little bit more now look stocks go up stocks go down the wwe stock has always been a weird one to me uh i don't track it all the time but like whenever there's you know the market goes up or the market really goes down by a lot I've always noticed that when the market goes down the WWE stock tends to go up <laughs> I can never understand why that was it's always been a weird one for me I don't doubt that the WWE stock is gonna go back up I don't know if it's going to go back up to 62 so fast uh, but for the people who are saying oh man no, you know maybe now's a good time you know should I buy some WWE stock I, I don't give stock advice to anybody I own no stock. I've never owned WWE stock, I never will own WWE stock, it's just, you know, it's not something I've ever felt comfortable with the whole stock market stuff, but uh, it certainly seems to me like you might want to look into whether or not now would be a good time. Uh, I'm not sure the stock's going to go down that much more, So, and I'm sure the company hopes it doesn't, so have they reached kind of the bottom for now? I I don't know, I, I if not I would think they're kind of close, but I, I would expect the stock number to shoot back up soon enough. Uh, it always does, you know, usually. But anyway, interesting to note, there was no mention of revenue that they're getting for NXT on USA Network, only that the company has taken on more in production costs, uh, now that the show is live, and of course it expanded from one hour to two, that does not mean that they're not being paid by USA for the show, but we still don't know if they are, how much. You know, Meltzer still insists the number is 30 million. He says they're getting $30 million a year for the show. But we got no further clarity on this from the earnings this week. Now, WWE Network subscriptions dropped by 10% to about 1.4 million or so, give or take. Uh, they now have less than a million domestic subscribers, just under 1 million. Uh, the rest of it comes from international the only thing Vince McMahon said about the departure of George Barrios and Michelle Wilson, is co-presidents, which was a big story last week and the whole reason the stock dropped in the first place, is that it was due to and, – and the press release that they had put out, basically, he was parroting the press release. He said the departure was due to differences in the vision. Lucky Land
0: Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
1: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
4: Of the execution of plans going forward, but he said the company's not going to miss a beat. Like, you know, we we respect their contributions, and then it's like, well, but we're going to just keep chugging along here. No big deal. In light of what we learned about their plans for the WWE Network, which I'm going to get into in a second. That was the big news of the week. It seems pretty obvious to me what likely happened here is that they had a disagreement with Vince McMahon. Oh, yeah, their their visions differed all right. They had a difference of opinion with Vince McMahon about his plans to gut the WWE Network. It had to. That had to play at least some role in what happened last week. You know, because Wilson and, and Barrios, in particular, I mean, they oversaw the birth of the network and and the rise and the growth and the building of the WWE network. You know, and so I could easily see a situation here where Vince is looking at the numbers and everything and making a decision about what he thinks the future should be. Here's what we need to do here, you know, with the network in terms of possibly kind of stripping it down and they disagreed and so they they had to go. But I, you know, listening to what he's saying this week and their plans for the network and how radical, you know, it all kind of sounds. And that to me uh, tells me more than uh, anything they told us this week about why they may have been uh, booted out of the company. Now, Vince McMahon, in the course of taking questions during the investor call, was asked if AEW has caused them to make any changes to their product or how they conduct their business, he said no. As far as uh, talent expenditures, it absolutely has. He can deny it all he wants to. You know The way they run their company, the way they run their shows like Raw and SmackDown from week to week, yes, it has not really caused any changes. Raw and SmackDown you know, creatively go up, they go down, but it's not a radically different show at all. Uh, from the way it was in September, for example, before AEW Dynamite even existed. So to that end, he's correct. But the money they're spending right now to lock up talent, I mean, the $9 million contract they reportedly gave Edge to come back, as one example of many I could give, they don't want these people going elsewhere. They don't want these people to sign with AEW. And so as far as talent expenditures is concerned, yes. Yes, absolutely, AEW has had an effect. In other ways, it hasn't. But in that way, that's the number one way that they've had an effect. Now, the big news coming out of Thursday is Vince McMahon saying that the selling of our rights to the majors could be a significant revenue increase for the company. And he claims they've gotten strong interest to the point that discussions are already underway with certain streaming platforms. And they expect the deal could be done by the end of the first quarter. Which, if that's the case, that means that by the end of March, by the end of next month, We could hear that shows like WrestleMania, for example, and SummerSlam and the Royal Rumble will no longer be airing on WWE Network, and instead they could end up on Amazon, they could end up on Netflix, Hulu, or some other streaming platform. Maybe it's one that we've never heard of before. Maybe it's one of the upstarts. I'm going to list a whole bunch of them here in a second, because there's a lot of different places they could end up. But there's one report from the Sportster website I saw that claimed that Jeff Bezos himself has expressed interest in buying the rights to the major WWE shows, and there was a Wall Street analyst talking to CNBC who thinks that a deal, you know, should one be reached with Amazon, could then pave the way for Amazon to buy the entire company. Now that's all speculation. I I don't, I really don't see that happening. But believe me, if Amazon wanted to buy WWE, or Disney wanted to buy WWE, and they made a a very compelling offer. They've got the money to do it. It would be hard, I would think, for Vince McMahon to say no to. Especially at the current stock price. I mean, the company, you look at the market cap and the valuation and all these different numbers, what do they all mean? And he used to say, you know, even just a few weeks ago, WWE worth $7 billion. It ain't worth $7 billion anymore. It's down to about $3 million or, or $3 billion now. If it was down to 3000000 million, they'd be in real trouble. But uh, yeah, so Amazon has reportedly, I saw PW Insider mention uh, that they have spoken to MLW in recent weeks. Because remember, MLW has been teasing, you know, big changes are on the horizon, a big announcement possibly related to television. And, you know, they, they hired that firm to help, you know, negotiate uh, possible television rights. And where's MLW Fusion going to end up in the future? So now we hear that they've had conversations with Amazon. Amazon is, you know, possibly uh, looking to bring in some wrestling content. Well, you're not going to find bigger wrestling content, all due respect to MLW, than WWE. If WWE is saying, hey, you know, we're open for business here, and we're willing to sell off WrestleMania and SummerSlam and Survivor Series and the Royal Rumble, I'm sure Amazon would be more than happy to listen. Now this month marks the 6 year anniversary of the WWE Network. It was February 2014. Remember we got that first takeover show, Page against Emma. It was all part of the big kickoff to the network. That was 6 years ago this month. And the question now is, will there even be a 7th anniversary? I have to imagine there will be. I cannot I just cannot envision a scenario where they just give up on the network. And they shut the network down. You've got to remember why the network was conceived of in the first place. Many years ago, when WWE was leaving TNN and they ended up back on USA Network. But they were in a very tough spot. You know, where they were not getting the level of interest that they had expected to. So they kind of had to take the deal that was given to them. That was where they were no longer really going to make money off the ads. Um... You know, it was a good deal but not a great deal. And I think what happened is it really spooked Vince McMahon, who said that we're never gonna be in that situation ever again. We've got to do something to protect ourselves as almost like an insurance policy to make sure that God forbid something happens. We have a falling out with a TV partner, one day Raw gets cancelled. I mean, it's it's never gonna happen. But let's say but it could, right? Let's say it does. What do you do? You would have to think that somebody else would have interest in picking up WWE, but if not, you're you're really fucked, aren't you? Well, the network, at least, gives them a platform forever. So if anything like that were to ever happen, temporarily, they could just put their stuff on the network until they negotiate a deal with somebody else. That, I think, was really the genesis of this whole WWE network idea. We will never again find ourselves in a situation like that. And we will at least have our own network that we control that we could always put our content on no matter what. So for that reason, if nothing else, I cannot envision a scenario where the network just goes away. I think it will always exist in some form. Maybe the bigger question isn't so much, will there be a seventh anniversary? The question is, what is it going to look like in year seven and year eight? The network could look very different a year from now than it does today. The real draw for the network are those live pay-per-views, you know. And for $9.99 a month, instead of those old $50 or $60 price points people would pay for a pay-per-view, you know, you get rid of those pay-per-views, all of a sudden, if this is what happens, you're going to see a lot of people jumping off and unsubscribing to the network. For a lot of people, that is the appeal. That is the sole appeal of the WWE Network for the people who actually pay for it and are subscribers, You know, even if they kept the NXT TakeOver shows, they would lose a ton of subs if they did that. And they're already down to 1.4 million. You know, they should have been not not only at 2 million by now, that was kind of their goal years ago. If they would have gotten their way, they'd be up to 3 million by now. They've never even been able to crack 2 million actual paid subscribers. Maybe they got to that number once, finagled the numbers with the trials and everything but they've never gotten even to the two million mark and now they've slid back down 1.4 million that's not a good sign you take the pay-per-views away from people that number is going to plummet even more unless they limited it just to the big ones like the rumble and mania and and um, maybe they you know keep the other ones on the network Now, on the flip side, you have to look at it like this. If the company were to strike a major deal to air their big show somewhere else, and the company gets a massive amount of money for them, the way that they got with their TV rights deals, imagine if they can get TV rights type of money, even if it's a little bit less, just by selling off their biggest pay-per-views. If they can do that, Vince McMahon's going to come out of this smelling like roses. He'll come away looking like the smartest man in the room. Like the genius that everybody says he is or was. In the meantime, while all of this is going on, I saw PW Insider mention that they you know, have sources in the company that said the people in Titan Tower and the people in the studio, they had no idea that this was even coming. They had no idea that this was even being done. Vince just went and announced that this is what we're planning to do. We're already in discussions with possible platforms. You've got people in the company who work for the WWE Network who were totally caught off guard by this. Had no idea that this was even going on. And in the meantime, the work is continuing on this tiered version of the network it was supposed to launch last month. It got pushed back. Now I think we know why. Is it ever going to launch? I don't know. It's being worked on. They're still actively working on it. Where you would have a free, uh, I think a free tier. You would have the nine ninety nine tier. And you would have a premium tier that possibly could be as much as, I think, 15 bucks a month. And that's where you would be able to also watch other promotions like ICW and Progress and Evolve. All of these uh, you know, indie promotions that have partnered with WWE. They have been waiting in the wings for years.
0: Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
1: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Haha, in my dentist's office
4: getting rid of some of the real theme music that a lot of their wrestlers had. They were already beginning the process of giving them new music because, you know, we got to prepare for the day that we go to the WWE Network, can't use real music anymore. They've been making preparations for this, these promotions have now, for years. And it kept getting pushed back. Vince McMahon, he didn't want to pull the trigger, and it got delayed and delayed. And now with this news, you wonder, is it even going to happen? With how long these people have been waiting to finally wind up on the network Now Vince McMahon decides instead to strip the network for parts and sell them off to the highest bidder. What must these people be thinking? Is this tiered version ever going to launch? Because I'll be honest with you, I think it's a cool concept and I think it would be great exposure for the ICWs and the progresses of the world and other promotions that they might partner with. But do you honestly believe that a tiered version of the network offering ICW and Evolve is going to somehow spur on tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of additional subscriptions to the WWE Network. If I'm Vince McMahon, I'm looking at this and saying, probably not. So let's look elsewhere to see how we can make money off this thing. Now, with these streaming options, I would imagine the way it would work is you'd have to pay an additional fee to subscribe to one of these platforms. If you're not already, for example, on Hulu and they went to Hulu, you'd have to pay whatever the Hulu fee is on top of the $9.99 if you wanted to keep WWE Network, which is another reason why I think a lot of people would jump ship, because a lot of people don't have that kind of expendable income. That's why I'm so grateful when people donate to the podcast, all the PayPal donations and all that kind of stuff. It blows me away every single week when I read the same names over and over again, because these people care so much about my show that they, you know, the the, the biggest way you can show support to give your dollars to somebody. And it blows me away because not everybody has that kind of expendable income. They have their streaming things and they have their subscriptions. Okay, I'm going to, like me for example, you know, I'm a big fan of Spotify. So I pay for Spotify Premium every month. I'd love to pay for Pandora Plus and, and this and that, you know, but it's too much. So you kind of pick and choose what you want to have subscriptions to. Spotify is one for me. Netflix is one for me. WWE Network is one for me. You add another two or three, four, all of a sudden it starts to build up. You look at your credit card statement, you're like, holy shit, it starts to build up. Not everybody can afford that. So let's look at some of these options here as far as where these WWE pay-per-views, if they do get sold off, where they could land, where, where they could, you know, wind up. They already have a deal with Fox, right? They they had this uh, SmackDown move to Fox. Fox paid a billion dollars for SmackDown. Fox has no big streaming platform. You know, somebody tweeted me the other day asking about, why not put WrestleMania on Fox television? Like, SmackDown is on Fox. Why not take a show like WrestleMania and put that on Fox? You know, the way Fox airs the World Series and they air the Super Bowl. They've had NASCAR races before. These big sporting events, why not put WrestleMania on there? That would be one way to reduce the length of WrestleMania. You're not going to have 7 hours of WrestleMania on Fox, so that's one benefit. But do you really want to watch WrestleMania with commercials in the middle of the matches like you do when you watch Raw on SmackDown? Is that really what you want? Cuz WWE's not a sport. I can't see them treating it like, "Well, we can't we're not going to run any commercials until the match is over." <laughs> like during a football game, they're not going to take a commercial break in the middle of the game unless, you know, they blow the whistle, there's there's some kind of replay review, a team takes a timeout. They don't cut the commercial in the middle of a play. Wrestling is different, you know? Who's to say, you know, that they wouldn't just... You'd have a big uh, 20, 30 minute main event match at WrestleMania with three or four commercial breaks. Is that really what you want? Because that's what you're going to get if WrestleMania were to go to Fox. There's pros and there's cons. I'm not a big fan of the idea myself. But that's not real. It doesn't sound like that's what they're talking about here. But that was just... And I've heard that not just from the one person, but other people have asked me about that before. I'm not a huge fan of that idea. You've got HBO Max. HBO Max is launching in May. They're owned by Warner Media, which given their relationship with AEW, that seems very unlikely. So you could throw out HBO. Then there's this new streaming service that NBC is launching called Peacock. It's launching in July. I think it has an early launch in April but only for certain customers that have certain uh uh cable or satellite providers. So really, it doesn't launch until the summer. So it really wouldn't affect WrestleMania this year. Uh and again, it's run by NBC Universal. WWE has the relationship with NBC Universal. It seems like the belief is that this Peacock service may be where where they land. But again, until something is announced, we don't know for sure. Uh, Disney. Disney is just a behemoth. They own everything pretty much at this point. Uh, they may own WWE one day. Who knows? But they own Hulu and they own ESPN+. Plus. Uh, UFC made a big deal to put their pay-per-views on ESPN+. Plus, uh, in the last couple of years. So they get paid, whatever, I guess a flat fee, no matter how the pay-per-views do. Um, I saw that this Conor McGregor fight that they just had. Alone, the Conor McGregor fight had like a million streaming buys. More streaming buys than any sporting event in history. And that one show, that one fight alone, the president of Disney claimed added 500,000 new subscribers to ESPN+. That is incredible. There is nothing WWE could do that could ever add those kinds of numbers. So... UFC has the relationship already could WWE wind up there I guess it's possible I don't think that there's any kind of exclusivity thing that would prevent that um, I, what the likelihood is I don't know I mean we've had WWE content on Hulu so there's that relationship uh, there's Netflix kind of the mother of all these streaming services WWE's done a little bit of work with Netflix before I know uh I think WWE studios is behind this new big show family sitcom that's going to be launching on Netflix yes the big show is getting his own show by the way if you didn't know that on Netflix it's called the big show show and he's uh, the father of a bunch of I think teen girls I forgot the whole premise but uh, I don't even know what it launches I would think it probably launches sometime this year either this year or next uh, so is Netflix a possibility it's got to be on the table and then there's Amazon we've heard a lot this week about Amazon and possible interest in pro wrestling content. So this is going to be a very big story to follow because this this will fundamentally change, I think, the future of this network and whether or not people decide to kind of give up and say, hey, peace out. That was the only reason I wanted the network for. I could watch the pay-per-views for cheap. You take the pay-per-views away, I no longer have any reason to subscribe to the network. You know, it... it it seems less likely, there's also the possibility, you can't discount this, that WWE could just be like, hey, we're going to go back to the old pay-per-view model. That would be a non-starter for, for everybody, I think. That'd be a non-starter for me. There's no way I'm paying 50 or 60 bucks a month for every WWE pay-per-view. Those days are over. I'd find some other way to watch them. No, no way am I doing that. And I'm not the only one, I'm sure, who feels that way. So... I would think they understand that. You can't give that to people, give it away for $9.99, three months free, you get the pay-per-views for free, and all of a sudden, well, we're going to go back to charging people $55 a month. That's not going to work. So I don't think that's that's going to happen. Uh, I, I like the WWE Network. I love the availability of all the classic content. I never have a chance to watch it lately, it seems like. I saw they just added a whole dump of new episodes of uh, Primetime Wrestling. I've been meaning to watch that. They have all the Coliseum home videos and, of course, the archives of all the Monday Night Raw episodes, Monday Nitro, WWE pay-per-views, WCW, ECW. The wealth of classic content that they have on the network is is breathtaking. All the hours, and that doesn't even include everything. See, I think you want to know what would turn the WWE network around. I think the reason that people have been fleeing and people have not been willing to subscribe they still have not added Wrestling Challenge and all those old episodes of Superstars. They gave us one year of Superstars, not even the full year, 1992. What happened all the other years? <laughs> People have been crowing for Superstars and Wrestling Challenge for years and we still don't have it. You put those two shows on the network, you'll see 5 million subscribers. <laughs> I guarantee it. Oh my good! But I love, I like the classic content. I like having access to it. At any given moment, I could just bring it up. I can bring it up on my phone, I can bring it up on my TV, I can bring it up on my laptop. That and the live shows, that's why I subscribe. The pay-per-views and the classic content is why I subscribe to the network, and I have since day one. Now, one of the things I love about the network are the original features and the documentaries. And there is another great example of that coming up next weekend. This was the other uh, news that you may not have heard this week, is that next weekend is the premiere of a new series looking at the Ruthless Aggression era of WWE from 2002 to... uh, For me, Ruthless Aggression really goes from 2002 to 2005, I would say. First episode drops next Sunday, on demand, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern. So you can watch that first, and then you can listen to the sound off 639 in the afternoon. And then watch NXT take over Portland that night. See? So you got your whole Sunday structured already next week. Not a bad way to spend your Sunday. Uh, new episodes will then be uploaded on, on demand every Monday thereafter at 10 a.m. Eastern, starting February 17th. So we get the first two episodes next week on back-to-back days. Uh, they say the series, quote, picks up where the Monday Night War docuseries left off, detailing the prolific, if turbulent, years that followed the Attitude Era, after WWE won the battle for Monday Night Supremacy and absorbed its top rival, WCW. I love that. They absorbed WCW. Like, like they're the thing. Or the blob. I think the blob is probably a more accurate reference, right? That's what the blob did. The blob absorbed people. That's what WWE does. In general. All over the world. They go to these different indie promotions, these different territories, and they absorb people. They absorbed WCW. So it says, famous for giving rise to legendary superstars like John Cena, Brock Lesnar, Randy Orton, and Batista. The Ruthless Aggression era was also a time of remarkable innovation for WWE. The company introduced new concepts like the Elimination Chamber and Money in the Bank Ladder Match. And for the first time in its history, split the roster into two unique brands, Raw and SmackDown. Uh, They interviewed a lot of people, apparently, for the series. Uh, John Cena, Randy Orton, Batista, Triple H, Paul Heyman, uh, Kurt Angle, The Miz, Bruce Pritchard, among others. These are the descriptions and the air dates for the first five episodes of the show. So the first one is next Sunday. It's called It's Time to Shake Things Up. That's the title of the episode. And it begins where the Monday Night War is over. And now they've got to deal with the challenges of acquiring WCW. And so that's kind of where it picks up. Uh, The second episode on February 17 is Enter John Cena, which sounds very sexual and very non-PG. But that's the title, Enter John Cena. So uh, Nikki Bella knows all about that. It says, a new if polarizing superstar emerges in the form of John Cena. And after enjoying initial success, Cena struggles to find himself as a performer and realizes that he is on the brink of being fired. That is, until his adoption of a new persona launches him to new heights. And that is true. John Cena was on the bubble. John Cena was going to be cut in 2002 from WWE. Until they had that Halloween party skit on one episode of SmackDown and he dressed up as Vanilla Ice. And he was, he was rapping, and he got Stephanie McMahon's attention. And that's what saved his job. Episode 3, on Monday, February 14th, is titled Evolution, covering exactly what you would think, the Evolution Faction. Episode 4, airing on Monday, March 2nd, is The Next Big Thing, chronicling the rise of Brock Lesnar. And Episode 5 is called Civil War. Raw vs. SmackDown that airs on Monday, March 9th, and uh talks about the initial brand split between Raw and SmackDown and the Battle of the Brands. I don't know how many total episodes there are, but those are the uh descriptions for the initial five. And as I said before, one of the things I love about the network, I can't say enough good things about their twenty four specials, uh even stuff like Table for Three and, and you know Drive By or not Drive By, uh what right along there you go that's a very different kind of show wwe drive-by maybe they could add that this year but uh yeah they, they have a lot of great original content done there and i think people are going to enjoy this sounds like a, a good a good series you know it's finally it's nice to have something that isn't the attitude era so instead they're going to cover the ruthless aggression era which i don't think gets enough attention i think it's, it's actually a very underrated era by a lot of people Raw Monday Night emanated from Salt Lake City, Utah, where a massive snowstorm threatened to shut down roads and possibly shut down the show, but the show went on, and with a packed, raucous Salt Lake City crowd that deserves praise for braving the conditions. Imagine putting your life at risk for Lana versus Liv Morgan. Maybe not the brightest bunch, but still very brave in a hot crowd on Monday night, Over 2,500 votes in the Twitter poll, 54% thumbs up, 46% thumbs down. Could it be? It is! Sorry, I lapsed into my Michael Cole there. Two straight weeks of positive results in the Raw poll, although this week was a lot closer than it was the week before. That was a 70-30 split. This was 54-46. So a little bit tighter, but a positive outcome nonetheless. You know, it didn't hit me until this week, I don't know how many of you realize this, but something amazing has been happening with Raw since the start of the new year. Brock Lesnar has thus far appeared on every single episode of Monday Night Raw in 2020. Last week, he did a run-in at the very end of the show in the last, I'd say, 20 seconds or 30 seconds, but he was there. Snowstorm be damned, he was still there. Every single episode so far. Now watch, of course I said that, he'll be off the show tomorrow night. But since he came back in 2012, he has not been on this many shows in a row, and you could even throw the Royal Rumble in the middle of that, and he had his longest performance in the Rumble match. He was in there for almost half an hour. So far in 2020, Brock Lesnar has been more full-time, than he has been in the last eight years. Brock's also got a soft spot, it seems, for R-Truth. After that segment that they did on TV before the Royal Rumble where Truth got Brock to corpse a little bit in the middle of the ring, which was apparently the whole point of that segment, was to try to get Brock Lesnar to crack, try to get him to laugh, which he did. Uh, In an interview with the website With Spandex, Truth said that Lesnar has been pitching ideas. He wants to work with uh, R-Truth doing something because of that segment. And uh, Lesnar pitched a few ideas, and Truth said that, you know, he and I talked afterwards, the sky's the limit, this business is always changing, and I'm always changing with things. So, I just figured out what could save the WWE Network. We need an odd couple type of sitcom, I think, starring Brock Lesnar and R-Truth. They become travel buddies. Hunting buddies, training partners, Brock just takes a liking to the guy. He invites him into his home. I am convinced that this can help the network hit that 2 million subscriber mark they've been trying so hard for the last six years. That and more episodes of Superstars and Wrestling Challenge finally on the network. You give me those three things, I'll be a subscriber for life. Uh, I thought the Randy Orton segment to open the show was great. The heat he got was off the charts from Murdering Edge the week before. He stalled and stalled and finally said, I can't do this He was feigning regret over what he had done. He said, I can't do this. And he walked out. He was teasing remorse for his actions, of of which, of course, he has none, because that's the whole point of his character. He's a snake. He can't be trusted. I thought this was great. You got to drag it out. You know, Edge is not coming back at least for a few more weeks, maybe another month. Now, I don't expect to see Edge, you know, make an appearance in uh, Saudi Arabia. You know, he may not even make an appearance until after the Elimination Chamber, and that's not until March 8th. So they've got to drag this out and stall somehow. They, they can take their time with this. Liv Morgan beat Lana with the flatliner in a quick match for the second straight week. So at least none of this 50-50 bullshit. They're giving uh, Liv Morgan some wins, which is good. All of a sudden, Ruby Riot walks out, all healed up from her double shoulder surgery. The last match that Ruby Riot wrestled. On Monday Night Raw was April 15th of last year against Becky Lynch. So she gets in the ring and she's all smiles and she sees her former Riot Squad stablemates. So, of course, what does she do? She attacks Liv Morgan. And then Lana gives Morgan the X-Factor. I hope that does not mean that we're getting a Lana-Ruby pairing. The quicker we get Lana out of the ring, the better. She really doesn't have any business being in there. It's good to have Ruby back. That women's division, I think, could really use her right about now. They had a six-man elimination match with Kevin Owens and the Viking Raiders taking on Buddy Murphy and AOP. Samoa Joe was still out. He has since been cleared. He is already set for a match on Raw this Monday night, so that's good. Uh, After a curb stomp on the floor by Seth Rollins, Murphy pinned Eric for the first elimination. Ivar then hurt his shoulder. Uh, which was a worked injury, but he couldn't continue, and so he got escorted out. That left Kevin, uh, I was going to say Kevin Dunn, (laughs) that left Kevin Dunn all by himself, him in a nice log that he had in his hand. No, it left Kevin Owens all by himself, having to overcome insurmountable odds against all three heels. He managed to eliminate Murphy, and he eliminated Aikum, but he fell short of the hat trick. He could not get past Razar, and so Team Rollins picks up the win, Uh, I thought the finish fell a little bit flat, but I like the underdog story they tried to tell with Kevin Owens. The fans badly wanted him to win. Uh, The announce team was clearly under a directive on this show to say the words, Monday Night Messiah, no less than 50 times. I'm fairly certain they met their quota. And this is one of the things that I absolutely hate about the on-air product in this company, the repetition of everything. Certain things, pay-per-view names, things like, I kind of get you want to say it a lot to kind of burn it in people's heads. You don't have to do that here with this name. With this this nickname, you don't have to do that. But it's the repetition that just drives you absolutely up a wall. Monday Night Messiah is actually kind of a cool name. Or it was a cool name. Now when I hear it, I want to strangle somebody. I want to strangle the person saying it with a piece of piano wire. Cool it with the Monday Night Messiah mentions. I heard you the first, second, third, and fourth time. By the 38th time, you get muted. This shit needs to stop. Enough already. And more terrible camera work on this show, too. The spot where Rollins gave Eric the curb stomp on the floor, instead of just sticking with their main shot and showing us the stomp, they did this weird cut right before, you know, Rollins came down for the stomp, as if that makes it somehow more devastating. You know, they do fantastic work production-wise when it comes to their video packages and their documentary specials on the network. I assume it's all the same team working on that stuff. Maybe it's a different team. But, you know, as far as the weekly television, the video packages and promos and such, they do fantastic work with that stuff. But these camera cuts are the worst
1: on television. With Lucky Land Sluts, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
5: 18 plus.
4: I mean, they are as necessary as a spoken word album from Ahmed Johnson. It's like Kevin Dunn is getting electric shock therapy on his balls while working the controls. Enough. Cool it with the cuts. Now, Buddy Murphy. Buddy Murphy is no longer our buddy. Late in the week, people pointed out that his bio on WWE.com has been changed. And he is no longer listed as Buddy Murphy. He is now merely Murphy. Like uh, Robocop. You know, the guy from WCW. Post-wrestling, John Pollock's site has confirmed that those within the company were told of the change going forward. So it's not just, well, it's just a website bio, who cares? No, this is apparently an official thing. The directive has been given. Those bios don't just change on their own on the website. So he is no longer Buddy Murphy. He is now just Murphy. And I could not believe The amount of people on social media up in arms about this name change. Yes, it is completely unnecessary. You've heard me rant before about Andrade losing the Cien Almas and Mustafa Ali losing Mustafa and some of these dumbass name changes that in most cases are completely unnecessary. Every now and then it might make sense. All right, this guy sounds cooler with the one name or, you know, it's easier to say it with the one name. More often than not, it's just completely unnecessary and stupid. So, I agree. Completely unnecessary. But Vince McMahon is a psychopath. We can agree on that. We know this already. I'm not saying it isn't silly or stupid for him to keep murdering people's first names. You know, Apollo Crews got his name back. Mustafa Ali eventually got his name back. So, who knows? Maybe Murphy will also. Maybe Murphy will be reunited with Buddy one day. But can we all please stop pretending that Buddy Murphy was ever a good name in the first place, it wasn't. Just like Dolph Ziggler, 12 years later, is still a shit name. Now, is Murphy much better? No, it's not that much better, but it's no worse. But you would read these tweets, you would think that people were devastated by the name change. How could they? How could they do this? Really? This is the hill that you want to die on for the name Buddy Murphy? I hope Adrian is listening. Adrian from Melbourne. He's been listening to this podcast since episode 148. That's how far back he goes as a listener to the show. He's one of the uh, the OGs of the Sound Off. He's the one who first exposed me to Buddy Murphy in the first place. At the time, he was wrestling down in Australia as Matt Silva. I think his real name is Matt Adams, but he was wrestling as Matt Silva and he emailed me. I still have the emails. I went back. He emailed me in March of 2013. All excited that Silva had been signed by WWE. He was the only person who got signed from their tryouts in October of 2012. He said, what a pickup, he said, for the company. He'd been singing the guy's praises for years. Adrian worked with him when Adrian was an independent wrestler. And he could just could not say enough good things about this guy. He said, WWE's going to be flushing a lot of uh, talent down the toilet if they give him some kind of outrageous gimmick. He's a badass. That's how he should be booked. Fast forward to September, later on that year. I get another email from Adrian, telling me, last week, he was given his new name, Buddy Murphy. <laughs> said, some drug addict behind the scenes watched The Nutty Professor, with the character Buddy Love... Played by Eddie Murphy, and decided it would be a great name to give this ass kicker from down under. He was beyond upset. I remember laughing at how dumb it sounded. And then in NXT, they paired him up with Wesley Blake. Eventually, they both lost their first names. They just became Blake and Murphy. And then when they split, he became Buddy Murphy again. So he's already been reunited with the name once before. Now, I'm a believer that the cream rises to the top. That isn't always the case, of course. You look at poor EC3 and whatever the fuck is going on with him. I can't wait for him to leave that company. I I love, by the way, on Instagram this week, Chris Jericho posted a picture with EC3. They were together. They were hanging out somewhere, having a drink, talking about God knows what. And Jericho was saying something to the effect of, this is going to be a big year for EC3. Now, I don't know when his deal is up. I've heard 2021. uh, I, I don't think he's got like a ridiculous amount of time left on his contract. So he just has to wind down. You know, I know he's been out with concussion issues. So my my fear for him is that, <laughs> you know, even if he comes back, they'll do the old, oh, well, you were hurt. So we're going to tack on months that you missed to your contract. So I don't know when he's going to be free and clear to leave that company. And I don't see them just giving him his release. I don't, I'm not aware that he's ever asked for his release. But clearly there is a home for him if he wants it at some point in AEW, at least as far as Chris Jericho is concerned. He, like a lot of other people, see something in EC3 that is not being tapped into right now, and it's a crime. So I love seeing that, and hopefully that's a sign of things to come just for him and his own career. You know, whether or not you like the guy or not, I, I would think you would want to root for him to at least have a shot at success. He never even got a shot in WWE. But more often than not, I think Cream rises to the top, regardless of all these uh, obstacles and stupid names and stupid gimmicks that may be put in their way. It was a dumb name, you know, but not so dumb that it would kill his career. And I'm happy to see him now doing well on Raw. You know, he's one half of the Raw Tag Team Champions. He's in the main heel faction on the show. He's trying to give him some rub from Seth Rollins. I think that's great. I have not said anything about the name in years. This was not an issue until this week when all of a sudden they chopped off the first name. Stop acting like they, you know, they're taking the name Buddy away is some egregious act on their part. He never should have been given that name to begin with. No one was ever going to chant Buddy, Buddy, Buddy. Okay, no offense to anybody with the name Buddy. Because I know, I think we have a few people with that name who listen to the show. As a wrestler, when I think of Buddy, I think of wrestling Buddies. The ones they sold years ago, Hulk Hogan and The Ultimate Warrior and The Macho King and DiBiase and all that. I think of wrestling buddies. I think of dolls. Or I think of a dog. A lot of people name their dog Buddy. They also name their dog Max. Just don't tell MJF that. Adios is what I say. Murphy it is. Personally, I'd like to see more cool names like the ones we had in the 80s. Like Axe and Smash and Hawk and Animal and we had Sting and The Destroyer and... You know, names and nicknames that actually sound cool. So I think this could be an opportunity for them. You want to market somebody? Right? You want to, you want to, they're big on marketing and coming up with unique names. Why not something like Madman Murphy? Or Maniac Murphy? I have people trying to tell me about SEO. Solomon, you got to look at the bigger picture. It's all about SEO. Search engine optimization, you gotta keep Buddy, it's unique. Unique does not make it a good name for a professional wrestler. You you make it sound like, oh, because it's unique, it's a good name. Just because something sounds unique does not make it good. I could debut tomorrow on TV as, as Punch Drunk Pinochle Pikachu. That does not make it a good name. Yeah, I, I may come up number one in the Google search results or Google trends, but my, my career is ruined now. I mean, come on, you gotta weigh the pros and the cons here, so... Buddy Murphy is now Murphy, I think it's fine, and I hope that he continues to soar because he's too good not to, regardless of whatever name they give him. But please, let's stop pretending that Buddy Murphy was some great name for him. It wasn't. We had the raw debut of Angel Garza with Zelina Vega, with Andrade out serving his wellness suspension for a few more weeks. He attacked his cousin, Humberto Carrillo, and called him a disgrace for what he did to Andrade the week before, when they did the injury angle. He attacked Carrillo. He was setting him up for the same thing outside the ring when Rey Mysterio ran down to make the save, and that led to a match between Garza and Mysterio. Uh, they were having a good match until the uh, DQ, and Garza DDT'd Rey on the exposed concrete. This was great exposure for Angel Garza. I'm 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 big on Angel Garza. Uh, He could be the next big breakout star for them this year. He's charismatic. He's a very good wrestler. We know that already. Uh, He speaks pretty good English, which I think is going to help him, especially if they keep him on the main roster. I don't know if this is temporary until Andrade comes back or if he's going to be on the main roster a lot more going forward. He's he's still wrestling in NXT, so he's not exclusive to the main roster. He reminds me in some ways, and this is going to set some people off, but... He reminds me in some ways of Eddie Guerrero. I think he could be that type of personality for them on TV today. Like what Eddie used to be. I think he could get there. I really do. I really do. And here's the other thing that's great about what they did here. When Andrade does come back, I like the idea of them being a trio. Until Andrade either grows jealous of Garza and the attention that he's getting from Zelina... Or he gets tired of Garza acting all cocky and arrogant. And then you can split them off and you could even feud them. And maybe have Zelina go with Garza if you want to break Andrade off as a babyface at some point. Uh, there's a few different directions they could go with this. When I really think about it, I think both of them at some point could play great babyfaces. I think we saw Garza in NXT already get very over with the audience. And we saw what he can do. He, he's the kind of guy, and this is also why I made the comparison to Eddie Guerrero before, Eddie could be a great bad guy. He could be a great good guy. Not everybody has that quality about them. Some people are good at one, but they're not good at the other. Some people are a heel their whole career. I mean, it's very rare. The only one I can really think of is Ricky Steamboat, who never really was a heel. I mean, there may have been uh, points in time when he was in this promotion or that promotion, but really, you know, during his full-time active career, I don't think he ever really played a heel. You know, he certainly didn't in WWE, and he wanted to. When he came back in 91, 92, he wanted to be a heel. And I think Pat Patterson, he said, told him, brother, you you can't be a heel. The people like you too much. It's just, you can't be a heel. Uh, Most people usually end up playing both roles at some point. It might be better for Garza to be the one to go babyface if you maybe keep Andrade heel. Because I think he would do really well uh, in that role. The point is, you have a lot of possibilities here. And a quality talent now that you can use on the main roster. So I like this. I like this a lot. We had Rhea Ripley come out to confront Charlotte Flair when Charlotte came out to tease making her decision about which champion she would want to face at WrestleMania. And she mentioned Becky and she mentioned Bayley and she wants all the gold, she says. And that brought out Rhea Ripley, the NXT women's champion, which is now back, by the way, to being referred to as the NXT women's championship. That change lasted all of one week on TV. So she came out and, you know, Charlotte has beaten Becky. She's beaten Bailey, but as Rhea pointed out, you've never beaten me. I've beaten you. Rhea Ripley has beaten Charlotte Flair. She's pinned her. I mentioned this last week, which was that triple threat with Sasha Banks on SmackDown in the lead up to the Survivor Series in November. And Rhea basically was begging Charlotte to challenge her to a match at WrestleMania, and Charlotte stared at her and she walked out. And uh, that's when they were promoting the fact that Charlotte would be making an appearance on Wednesday night on USA Network on NXT. So they're trying to pop a rating for Charlotte's appearance. Did it work? Well You'll have to wait and see. I haven't gotten to the NXT part yet with the ratings. You'll have to wait and find out. I think most people know by now, but if you don't, I'll talk about that later. We had a Asuka and Natalia match. When I heard Natalia's music hit... It's, it's really a shame, because when I used to hear that guitar string hit for Bret Hart's music before he would come out, it got me all excited, right, because I'm a big Bret Hart fan. And now, you know, when I hear it, it's almost like a groan, like, oh, God. But, this turned out to be a damn good match. And, and I think part of it is not that is a bad wrestler, it's just that she's been around for so She's like in the Dolph Ziggler boat. She's been around for so long. She's wrestled everybody 15 different times. It's hard to get excited. But I will say that they had a damn good match here. Nice and snug at points. I think Natty got a black eye in this match. Uh, the right person won. Asuka beat her. And Oscar will now get her rematch tomorrow night on Raw with Becky Lynch. Who's now wearing those uh, Deal With It sunglasses that you see on those online memes on Twitter and everything. They made an actual real life version of them for her to wear. I don't know if they're selling them on WWE Shop or if that's just something she made on her own. Uh, But she wore them out to the ring. Some people I saw, oh, they're goofy. You know, she's going to get people to turn against her if she keeps acting like this. This is the whole point of the man character that she plays, though. She's just, she's not really acting any differently. You know, and if if people are going to turn against her, it certainly hasn't happened yet. Because she comes out and still gets her reaction. So you can call it hokey and goofy, but whatever she's doing, it's working. So we had Ricochet in the main event or uh, as he has it written on his uh, Twitter profile, Rick O'Shea. We had Rick O'Shea, Bobby Lashley, and Seth Rollins in the main event for the right to challenge Brock Lesnar at Sweet Saudi Money 5 for the WWE title. Ricochet won with the 6.30 on Lashley. I really thought they were going to give it to Lashley. Lashley was my prediction. I had him picked to win this match. This is the match that he has wanted for years. Uh, I thought they were just going to go ahead and give it to him. You know, he, he has said that he only came back to get that match with Brock Lesnar. And instead, what do they do? They do Bobby Lashley and his sisters. Bobby Lashley steals Lana and gets married. All this bullshit with Bobby Lashley. Instead of doing a match between him and Brock Lesnar, which has a lot less appeal now than it had for me when he first came back, I suppose they could maybe get him back to a point where people can take him seriously as a, a credible challenger. I mean, look, if Ricochet is challenging for the championship against Brock Lesnar I think people can take Bobby Lashley seriously but he's been doing so much hokey goofy bullshit that whatever real appeal there was for the match I think has been uh has has dimmed but I thought they were just going to go ahead and figure you know it's a Saudi Arabia show it's not Wrestlemania or anything let's just do the match and kind of get it over with but I guess not so Ricochet is going to have a tough time staying alive at Sweet Saudi Money 5. After the show, Ricochet must have seen the reaction from people on Twitter, I guess, who, who weren't happy that he won, I guess. and Or they were, I don't know what he saw, but he went on Twitter and said, Can't you all just enjoy things? That's what Ricochet tweeted out Monday night when he got back to the locker room after his big win. Can't you all just enjoy things? This man doesn't really understand how this whole internet thing works, now does he? Doesn't seem like it. But Brock works well with smaller guys. I think it'll be fun watching him kill Ricochet on the road to losing to Drew McIntyre. SmackDown was live from San Jose. Uh, I have not actually checked the most current vote tally. We had over 1,100 votes. I think it's higher than that now. 29%. Thumbs up. 71% thumbs down. That is a horrible score. For what has largely been a horrible show for many weeks now. Even the, sh- even the weeks where it's not overly offensive. It's just dull and boring. And this is the show that Fox paid a billion dollars for? This is the Fox show? This is the effort they put forth for the show on Fox? That's what's most shocking to me. Another week. Another very missable episode highlighted by Goldberg. Via satellite, so I would not have been very happy if I was at the show in San Jose. And on Monday night, they said that Goldberg is going to be appearing on SmackDown. I don't remember them saying appearing via satellite. So I would have been pissed if I was there live and didn't get to actually see Goldberg come out and do his entrance. He is going to be challenging Bray Wyatt to a Universal Championship match at Sweet Saudi Money 5, Dead or Alive. And a hat tip to Tactics Tiku, by the way, on Twitter for that suggestion. I'm going to alternate between that and Sweet Saudi Money Five staying alive. Wait until you see what we've got in store for the live stream artwork in a few weeks. I can't wait. I can't wait to use this. Uh, and Groundhog Day extends yet another week with Roman Reigns attacking Baron Corbin. What did I say last week? What did I say last week? It's the song that never ends. It is the feud that will never, ever be over. It just goes on and on. Somebody said to me, they they sent me an animated GIF from the movie The Never Ending Story of of the kid on the fucking giant uh, bird or monster or uh, rhinoceros or whatever the fuck it was. And uh, what, what was it? A penguin? A unicorn? I don't know whatever it was, but... They said that the real never-ending story is Roman Reigns and Baron Corbin. I think he has a point. So the show opened with the return of the dirt sheet with Miz and Morrison, who threw it to a mock trailer for a uh, their, their parody of the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which included cameos from George Mizanin, Miz's father, Lance Storm, who's now a producer backstage, Big Johnny, John Laurinaitis was in this. New Day interrupted. Kofi Kingston said that Miz's dad is his favorite wrestler. That's funny. He's my favorite wrestler, too. They promised to retain the tag team titles at Super Showdown. Usos came out to point out Miz and Morrison never beat them. And that brought out Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode. Miz and Morrison jumped the New Day. This led to a match. Roode and Ziggler against the Usos. That ended with an Usos win. This was the best wrestling that we got on the entire show. It was pretty much downhill from here. Going into the break, they promised to show us highlights on the flip side from last week with King Corbin being forced to eat dog food. And I must say, I really appreciate WWE giving me that heads up, because that was my cue to flip to another channel. And I turned back just in time to see Corbin pulling some dude out of the production truck and throwing him down the stairs. Sadly, it wasn't Kevin Dunn. He had constructed a, a wooden dam. To stop Corbin from getting to him and protect him from any violence. Elias Pincesaro. You know, I watched this. And I watched what they did with him at the Royal Rumble. That that made me angry. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it's a TV show. It is a wrestling television show. And I sometimes tell myself that it's not worth getting that upset over. I had a friend of mine who listened to the show a few weeks ago. And he said, boy, you know, you really sounded angry during that one segment, and I couldn't tell if you were just kind of playing it up or if you were really angry, and I said to him, Brother, what you hear on this show is what you get. If I am overly animated about something, it's because I have a reason to be overly animated about something. I feel it has wasted my time. I feel like they should have done this. They should have zigged and they zagged and they had the chance to do something great and they didn't. And yes, it genuinely pisses me off. It is not an act. It is not a put-on Do I play up uh, the comedy sometimes? Yes, the one-liners. But what you hear is what you get. If I'm happy, as I was, look, I just talked about Raw. There were a lot of things about Raw that I liked. The only thing I got animated about, really, was the Buddy Murphy thing, because people are are freaking out for no reason. But I was genuinely angry at the Royal Rumble when Cesaro came out, and he had his spot with Brock Lesnar. And I thought to myself, this is the perfect opportunity. He's clearly never going to get a match. With Brock Lesnar, I I gave up on that years ago, but now they're together face to face in the ring in the Royal Rumble, and there's a good two minutes before the next person comes out. All I need is two minutes, two minutes of back and forth, two minutes of power spots. Brock's going to bounce him around and think he's a nobody, and Cesaro's going to come back and pick up Brock and and suplex him or whatever, and Brock's going to have that look on his face like he had with Keith Lee, like holy shit, I didn't see that coming. They could have done two minutes of stuff between these guys that in those two minutes would have done more to get Cesaro over than anything they've done with him in the last five years.
1: With the Lucky Land slut, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky.
0: Jumba. the chumba life is for everybody so go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes ChumpaCasino.com.
4: no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details and they didn't and he was dumped out in less than 30 seconds less than 30 seconds he was out of that ring if if even that much And I realized at that point that, of course, it wasn't about getting Cesaro over, because those days are over. The days of getting Cesaro over have come and gone. Cesaro wanted to go work in NXT UK. They let him go work. He had a match with Ilya Dragunov, who apparently is this big project, this big pet project for Triple H. He sees a lot of big things in Dragunov's future. They had a great match. And I thought to myself, Cesaro has found himself, you know, the the right place for himself in this company. NXT UK, he can bounce back and forth between the NXT brand. He's still a main roster, quote-unquote main roster name. They could have put on NXT on Wednesdays. He was not going to move the needle or anything. But imagine the people he could work with. You know, maybe he'd be happier. I don't know how happy or not he is now. Maybe he's just content to just do whatever they tell him to do and collect a paycheck. But you couldn't give him two minutes in the ring with Brock Lesnar. That's how little they think of this guy. Then I see him on this show and he's getting pinned by Elias. One of the things I would really like to see in 2020, I'm going to add this to my list of predictions for the year. It's more of a hope, I guess, than a prediction. And I don't know when his contract is due. I would like to see Cesaro leave and ply his trade somewhere else like a New Japan. I really think he would fit in well there. Imagine Cesaro in this year's G1 Climax. That is something I would like to see. Corbin then came out into the arena and he called what happened to him last week an abomination. I actually think he was referring to this entire storyline. He says, Roman Reigns can't beat him without help from the Usos. He demands a rematch. He grabbed a drink. He poured it over the head of a planted fan. Roman Reigns arrives. Superman punch. Drive-by. I was hoping a car would do a drive-by on me as I was watching this. Corbin ran away. Roman said he's got his rematch, and this time they'll do it inside a steel cage. And there it is. There it is. Another fucking match between Roman Reigns and Baron Corbin, and it's happening at Sweet Saudi Money 5, Dead or Alive. This will be Roman's second cage match in Saudi Arabia. He had one before against Brock Lesnar. You can't be surprised. You all heard what I said last week. The dog food wasn't the end of it. The Royal Rumble wasn't the end of it. You thought it was over. Into the shame corner with you. Don't ever doubt me again. Goldberg. He joined Michael Cole and Corey Graves via satellite from his uh, garage. He said he watched the Royal Rumble. It was inspiring to him. He suddenly realized that He never got his rematch for the Universal Championship that he lost to Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania 33, and he wants a shot at it. It's now almost WrestleMania 36, by the way. Let me just point that out. And now he wants his rematch. Oh, by the way, I never got my rematch. So he's interrupted by a breaking news skit with Firefly Funhouse News and news anchor Bray Wyatt, the Universal Champion, and The best part of this, I don't know how many people actually were paying attention to this, but if you go back and watch it, there was a news scroll like the 24-hour cable news stations have on the bottom of the screen that said, Huskus the pig was vowing a lifestyle change after a pudding accident, Abby the witch is set to appear on the next season of The Bachelorette, and Ramblin' Rabbit dead at 27, a nation mourns. So Ramblin' Rabbit has now joined the 27 Club. With all of the celebrities that have passed away at the age of 27. You hate to see it. You hate to see it. So he said The Fiend accepts Goldberg's challenge. Goldberg says The Fiend is next. And then he pulled his earpiece out or his uh, hearing aid. It's hard to say. You know, he's getting older. And uh, he stormed off. I did not have The Fiend as Goldberg's next opponent. So that was a surprise to me. I thought it was either going to be Roman Reigns, King Corbin, or a rematch with The Undertaker. As a match, Goldberg against The Fiend sounds like a horrible idea. Daniel Bryan got the best match out of The Fiend so far at the Royal Rumble. A lot of The Fiends' matches have not been good. They've not been very exciting. They're kind of plotting and boring. Goldberg is no Daniel Bryan as far as trying to pull a great match out of somebody. Uh, Goldberg is best in short, explosive matches. Now, if that's what they have planned here, uh, that worries me. Because what are the chances that The Fiend is going to beat Goldberg in a short, explosive match? What this should be is a spear by Goldberg. The Fiend gets right back up. Goldberg is kind of incredulous. He hits another spear, gets him up into the jackhammer. And and Bray, even though he's in better shape than he used to be, Bray is a big boy. So... Goldberg trying to lift him up in a jackhammer if he's already sweating on his way to the ring and it's a thousand degrees over there in Saudi Arabia which was one of his excuses uh, for that catastrophe with the Undertaker and he he did get concussed in that match but they were blaming it on the heat it was so hot so now he's gonna potentially try to get Bray Wyatt up in position for a jackhammer uh that's a bit of a risk I would say but let's say he gets him up right drops him with the jackhammer And then he goes for the pin and the fiend kicks out. He no-sells Goldberg's offense. Goldberg can't believe it. He readies for a third spear. And as he comes charging in, Bray catches him. The mandible claw. I thought about this actually. They could do the spot that they did in the match with Brian, Where as Goldberg is charging in, like Brian was charging in for the running knee. Wyatt catches him for a quick sister Abigail first. But maybe the way they do it is... Goldberg's getting ready for the third spear. He comes charging in and Wyatt gets him in the mandible claw. Puts the hand in his mouth. Takes him down until Goldberg passes out. And Goldberg gets pinned. You want to really get the fiend over like a threat and make an impression? That's how you do it. Question is, would Goldberg agree to that? I I would say yes. For $2 million, which is reportedly what he got for that match against The Undertaker. Think about that. That match against The Undertaker was a $2 million payday for Bill Goldberg. For some of that sweet Saudi money, yeah, I think he he would do whatever they told him to do. But there's no guarantee of that. You know, I could see Vince McMahon thinking about WrestleMania and putting the championship back on Goldberg now and having him drop it to Roman Reigns. You know, they can promote it as a battle of the spears. First ever match, Goldberg defends against Roman Reigns. You know, Maybe they try to set up two WrestleMania matches. They have the lights go out during the match in Saudi or, or something with an Undertaker distraction that leads to The Fiend losing. Goldberg goes off to defend the title against Roman and The Fiend battles The Undertaker at WrestleMania. Undertaker missed WrestleMania last year. I would be surprised if he missed WrestleMania two years in a row. I don't need to see him in the ring ever again. You all know my thoughts on that. He's going to have another match. I'd rather it be in November, 30-year anniversary of his debut, let him wrestle Alistair Black and lose at Survivor Series, and then ride off into the sunset and go into the Hall of Fame next year. That's how I would do it. Of course, that's not my decision to make. It's not even Vince McMahon's decision to make. Undertaker made it very clear in his interview with Steve Austin, he doesn't like it when people tell him what to do with his own career. So he's going to make his own decision. If he feels he can wrestle until WrestleMania 40, we're going to get Undertaker matches until WrestleMania 40. But I would be surprised if he bowed out of WrestleMania two years in a row. So if he's going to wrestle, who's he going to face? Maybe The Fiend. Maybe they really do take the championship off The Fiend and they figure it's no big deal because The Undertaker, for whatever storyline reason, provided the distraction. You know? That would take the sting of the title loss away a little bit, especially if Bray gets his win back over the dead man after what happened uh, all those years ago at WrestleMania 31. And so then you get two big WrestleMania matches out of it. I think, I, I hope that's not what they're planning on doing. I think that they have put so much time, they've invested so much time and effort into getting this Fiend character over. To come this far, only to have Bill Goldberg be the one to take the title away from him this close to WrestleMania, I think is a terrible idea. I don't like it. I I am intrigued by the match. Goldberg and The Fiend, you know, as far as what kind of match they're going to have, it may be quick and fun, or it could be a total disaster. It kind of has that car crash vibe to it. And The Fiend is not about work rate. He's not about having five-star matches. I'm not, I don't want people listening to what I said earlier about how Daniel Bryan got a great match out of him. As if The Fiend needs to go out there and wrestle like he's Okada. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying a lot of the matches he has had have been fucking boring. That's a fact. And Daniel Bryan took him to a compelling match with the strap match at at the Royal Rumble. If he's wrestling Goldberg, it can only go one way. It's got to be quick. It's got to be over within 60 seconds or 90 seconds or two minutes. It can't go longer than that. I just can't see more so Goldberg. I can't see it going much longer than that and being anything even resembling a good match. He did that with Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania, I will say. You know, at WrestleMania 33, they had the greatest, like, short, explosive WWE title, or I guess it was a universal uh, title match, that maybe I've ever seen. From the moment that the bell rang, it was just Smash Mouth, boom, 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 hitting big moves and spears, and he speared him through the barricade, and The German suplexes, just two big bulls throwing each other around. And then 1-F5 and Brock got the win. They got in, they got out. That's the way that this match should be. And I don't see it going six minutes. So, if it's me, I use Goldberg to get the fiend over even more. Even more than he already is. That's how I do it. You know, but how do you make the match compelling without one person being dominated in in 90 seconds. I don't think you do. I don't think there's any other way to do it. You know, if you beat Goldberg that decisively, do you kill whatever little drawing power he may have left when you do bring him in as an attraction? I don't know. I mean, I I think you would definitely kill The Fiend, though, if you had Goldberg beat him in dominant fashion. So I'd have The Fiend beat Goldberg. At least get him to WrestleMania. WrestleMania. If you're going to have Roman Reigns beat him there, whatever. I think we all know at some point that's inevitable anyway. Just get him to WrestleMania. So if I'm booking this, The Fiend beats Goldberg. He beats him as decisively as anybody has ever beaten Goldberg before. And he goes on to defend the title of WrestleMania. Daniel Bryan, like others before him, has seemingly been changed by The Fiend. Not that he's necessarily a heel. He was acting heel-ish. Uh, but he he was definitely more aggressive on this show. He basically murdered Heath Slater in a quick squash. Showed no mercy. This was Slater's first televised match, by the way, since 2018. The new Intercontinental Champion, Braun Strowman, was out for an interview with Renee Young. Sami Zayn came out with Shinsuke Nakamura. He demanded that Nakamura get a rematch. Braun says, let's go. Sami says, well, it'll be on our time. When we want to do it. All of a sudden, the Revival attacks Strowman. Nakamura joins in. Braun fights them all off. And so it looks like Dash and Dawson may now be part of Sami Zayn's little jobber brigade here. This little jobber faction they've got going on. How cute, right? I mean, uh, we see how they've treated Cesaro and, of course, the Revival. I mean, come on. Job Squad 2.0 here. All Sammy needs now, I think, is a mannequin head with the words, Help me, written backwards on the forehead. We got an Otis training video in preparation for his Valentine's Day date next week with Mandy Rose. Still, the greatest storyline on this or any WWE show. And remember where you heard it first. You heard it right here first. Not from all these bandwagon jumpers who now are saying, Oh, I love the Otis storyline. I've been telling you this for at least a month now. And people thought I was crazy. Who's crazy now, huh? Who's crazy now? This was great. I love this SmackDown every week should just be segments with Otis doing different activities with Tucker there to provide moral support. Sheamus he finished off Apollo Cruz with a bro kick in about thirty seconds. Thanks for coming, Apollo. That salad sitting there in catering isn't going to eat itself, so hurry on back. You better get there before Chad Gable does. He ran down after the match to attack Sheamus, ended up getting mowed down with a bro kick himself, like a geek. The G in Shorty G stands for Geek. Am I right? I think I am. Shorty Geek. That's his new name. Enjoy the food, boys. Leave a little bit for the rest of the roster. And the women headlined this week, Fatal 4-Way, to determine the next challenger for Bayley's SmackDown Women's Championship. I'm going to go out on a limb here. If they don't cut it off first and say that that match won't be happening at Sweet Saudi Money, which is why they never named the date... Of the match. Now they did have the one women's match. With Lacey Evans and Natalya. So anything is possible. I don't know if that means we're getting one on every Saudi show. Or if that was a one-time deal. This was Alexa Bliss, Naomi, Carmella and Dana Brooke. I like how Dana Brooke now uses the Batista bomb. Uh, in her matches. This, The match was fine. It really wasn't anything special. I mean I thought Asuka and Natty was a far better. You know match with the women on Raw Monday Night Uh, This is nothing you're going to remember in a week. I mean, most of these shows really are not anything you're going to remember in a week. I thought this was an easy setup, though, for Bailey and Naomi, given their interaction last week. Not only did Naomi not win, she ate the pin from Carmella. Carmella is the new number one contender. There is history there with her and Bailey. They used to be, uh, well, I guess they're, I mean, they're still friends, but... Now, like they, they were best friends. They were besties back in their NXT days. I don't know if that will even be mentioned here as part of the storyline. Uh, this has to be them saving Naomi for WrestleMania. And I don't know if, what that means for Sasha Banks. If they go with Bayley and Naomi at WrestleMania, where does that leave Sasha? I have no idea. But if they beat Naomi here in order to save her to win the championship at WrestleMania, then that's fine. I mean, that's a much bigger stage for her. But if not, then this makes absolutely no sense to me. Naomi just came back. She had the interaction with Bailey. The fans like her. They've got to be saving her for WrestleMania. AEW. Let's talk about AEW. Not even the announcement of Charlotte Flair. Coming to NXT was enough to get them the win head-to-head this week. AEW comes out on top in the Nielsen numbers. Are you telling me that Charlotte Flair is not a draw? Is that what you're telling me? But she's the queen. The good news is that both shows saw ratings increases this week. Nearly 1.7 million people watching wrestling live on Wednesday night combined. Uh, The breakdown was 928,000 for AEW, up uh, 100,000 viewers from the week before. Probably on the back of that strong angle to close the show with Cody and MJF. While NXT brought in 770,000, up from 712,000 the week before. When I did my Dynamite live stream on Wednesday, which was the longest one I've done yet, took a whole bunch of phone calls, some were uh, more interesting than others, Uh, but I had a lot of praise. If anything, I think I I didn't give it enough praise when I listened back for that closing angle at the end of the show, where Cody had to take the ten lashes from MJF, he took one from Wardlow as well, Uh, you had Arn Anderson walking out, his coach, his mentor, in the middle of this trying to kind of rally him rally him up and uh, his brother Dustin walked out he even offered to take five of the lashes the last five uh, which MJF said wasn't the rules he can't do that. His friends came out the young bucks his wife Brandy came out telling him you've got one more left to take I can't do it for you one more left come on the emotion there Cody and Brandy MJF I thought they all were fantastic. In that segment, it was old school pro wrestling right down to the cowardly prick kicking Cody in the balls and running off at the end and then being jumped by a quote unquote fan in the crowd who was not actually a fan. Cliff wrote into me on Facebook. He's been a fan of the podcast a very long time. He was in attendance. He was at the show sitting right where this all happened and he confirmed that it was Frankie Kazarian of SCU kind of dressed up as a fan. Uh, so it was not some random fan, for those people wondering. But, you know, the way it came off, it came off like, you know, a fan was so upset over what had happened that he had jumped MJF, and that's how they played it off. And uh, I just thought this was very well done. And uh, when I went back and watched the segment a second time, which I did, because the problem sometimes is that I'm getting ready to go live, right? I, I don't always go live at 10 on the dot, but I try to get, you know, going as quickly as I can. So it's very stressful and very frenetic and I got to get this open, I got to do this and you know my notes aren't even done yet because they literally just went off the air. And so I'm paying attention to what's going on but I'm kind of not. So I I always go back and and have to rewatch uh the last few minutes to make sure that I didn't miss anything. And I didn't, but it was even better the second time when I watched it back when I didn't have the stress of worrying about the show and I just sort of watched it and I was like, "Man, that was a Damn good segment, you know. Whoever put that together, they did a they did a great job. Now this Wednesday, John Moxley goes eye for an eye against Santana of the Inner Circle, who has an eye patch of his own now to match the one that Moxley has. Although maybe uh, Moxley won't, since it came off during his match with Suzuki. Maybe now he can wrestle without it. Uh, but Santana has one to match after Moxley took a car key. And spiked it into Santana's eyeball on Dynamite. Also on this week's show, SCU challenges Hangman Page and Kenny Omega for the AEW Tag Team titles. Then in two weeks, in Atlanta, they're going to hold a Tag Team Battle Royal for a shot at the Tag Team Championships at the Revolution pay-per-view at the end of the month. And the show will be headlined in Atlanta by the first ever steel cage match in AEW history, with Cody taking on Wardlow. That is the last provision that Cody needs to satisfy to get his match with MJF at Revolution. Then in three weeks, man, they 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 talk about long term booking here. They announced a whole bunch of matches in three weeks, which I believe is the Go Home Show. Uh, is it the go is it the Go Home Show or the one after Revolution? I think it's the Go Home Show. They'll be in Kansas City. We've got a 30-minute Iron Man match between Pac and Kenny Omega. And I said this on the uh, Dynamite stream. This will be one of those times for uh, Omega to really go out there and have time to build a longer match the way that he was known to do in New Japan. So I don't want to say that we're going to get a New Japan-style match from Kenny Omega, but we might. Pac is no slouch. So I think we're in for a, a great match between those two uh, in a few weeks. Now, sad tweet this week. There were a lot of different options for sad tweet. And I'm not even going to get into the Meltzer and Cornette stuff because it's just stupid juvenile bullshit. Uh, you know, the things, some of the things that Cornette is, has said and just the way he goes off on some people. It's so juvenile and so dumb. Like, even if you're not a Meltzer fan, I don't see how you cannot look at some of the things that Cornette has been saying and just be embarrassed. It's just, it's childish, it's stupid, and it's not even worth getting into here. Uh, But sad tweet this week comes from someone who is replying to a Dave Meltzer tweet. Meltzer was replying to somebody about AEW, and he mentioned them selling out a show in 30 minutes when some guy by the name of Jerry Curl Juice... Decided to chime in with this. It's easy to sell out shows in those small market arenas. The big cities don't care about AEW. Okay, so I'd like to think that's probably how he sounded. Jerry Curl Juice had that to say. Now, Jerry Curl Juice cited no facts beyond his one tweet. But it was one of the dumber things that I saw posted this week. When you consider that double or nothing in Las Vegas last year... A fairly major city, I would say. Sold out in four minutes. Three months in advance. All out in Chicago. Or uh, Hoffman Estates, I guess. is a uh, It's a suburb of Chicago. But like WWE does, whenever they go to Chicago. Whenever they go to the... Not even Chicago. Whenever they go to the Allstate Arena. The Allstate Arena is in Rosemont. But they call it Chicago anyway. So they do the same thing. Anyway. All out. Sold out. 15 minutes. Actually, they're in Chicago for the Revolution pay-per-view in a few weeks. Chicago. A major city. Sold out in less than an hour. I checked the other day. It looked like they opened up some seats. They only have two sections that are open now that have seats available. From what I can see. Not bad for a major city. Newark. Look at Newark the biggest city in the state of New Jersey, part of the tri-state area that includes New York, very populous. And AEW just sold 10,000 tickets to the Dynamite show there next month in the first day that they went on sale. So if you're going to dunk on AEW, I'm not some AEW defender here, but I saw this stupid tweet and I felt compelled to do so. If you're going to dunk on AEW, at least get your facts straight. If anything, it's the smaller cities where it seems like they've had more trouble filling the buildings. And you've seen photos taken from the show of one side of the arena totally empty. From what I've seen, it tends to be the smaller markets. That's why they honored the legends of Memphis when they were in Mississippi last month. Ticket sales were slow. They were trying to attract more people. They're trying to find a way to get more people into the building. So, a very sad tweet indeed. But I never would have noticed were it not for Chris Jericho's reply. I didn't even notice the Meltzer tweet. It was Jericho's reply that I saw. He said to uh, Jerry Curl Jones, or Juice, whatever the fuck his name is, You're right! For example, the New York-New Jersey market is a tiny, minuscule market. Thank goodness for these tiny villages that keep our doomed company on life support. Can you get me a job for when we go out of business in five years, please? Double sad tweet. The AEW champion. Begging Jerry Curl Jones for a job. As I record my show here from this apartment in this tiny little village in New York. I'm surprised we even have Wi-Fi here. or running water. NXT news. We had two big signings to the Performance Center this week, and possibly NXT-bound. We'll see where they land. First is Timothy Thatcher, the longest-running Evolve champion of all time, nearly 600 days. So about the average time it took me to get through a single episode of Monday Night Raw in 2019. He's wrestled in MLW, he's wrestled in Progress, several other promotions. In Evolve, he was managed by Stokely Hathaway, who was signed a while back by NXT, Although he hasn't been used on TV, his name now is Malcolm Bivens. So there would be a natural connection there if they wanted to reunite them, give him a manager. Or, of course, he's got history with Walter, who he once formed a faction with, along with Marcel Bartel. Bartel and Walter, now part of Imperium in NXT UK. So perhaps we get more interaction there between Walter and Thatcher, either as opponents, or maybe they work him into Imperium. I don't know if they would add a new member or if they would boot somebody out like Alexander Wolfe or something and replace him with Timothy Thatcher. I don't know. I've only seen one of their matches. I've only seen one of the Walter-Timothy Thatcher matches. Uh, It was from a progress show, I believe, in early 2018, which may be the best match that they ever had uh, because I know I wasn't the only one who thought that was an incredible match. So purely based off of that, I would not mind another round between these two. Uh, and I would expect it at some point. I could see that being an NXT UK takeover main event in a year. You know, I mean that they could they could do that. Someone like Thatcher, I think, would thrive over there as a Raw or a SmackDown guy. I don't see it. I think he'd be dead in the water. So, I think that's uh, likely his landing spot. And then there's Killer Cross, Dave Meltzer all but confirmed his signing in last week's Observer. WWE just made it official this week. So get ready for the debut of Criss Cross Applesauce, coming soon to a TV near you. There were reports that he had personally met with Triple H and was promised that he would be fast-tracked to the main roster. Cross came out the week before and denied ever even meeting Triple H, which, as you would expect him to do, right? I mean, if he signed or if he was about to sign with the company, he would deny any and all stories about any negotiations, any signed contracts... In this case, he claimed he never even met the guy, let alone met with him. His girlfriend, Scarlett Bordeaux, is already signed to an NXT deal. I think that they should put the two of them together and give him a big push in NXT. Just look at the talent that he would have to work with there. And you know he'd be treated like a top star. I have less faith that would happen on Raw and SmackDown. If he met with Triple H, and Triple H is the one who loved him and sang his praises... All the more reason for him to start there, because Triple H, if he's a big fan of his, you know he's going to do right by him. Triple H meeting with him means little when it comes to how Vince McMahon would see him and use him on Mondays or Fridays. If they do fast track him to the main roster, I can't say he doesn't deserve to be on there. And I do think he can be a big, big star for them on there. If they do fast track him to Raw or SmackDown, put him and Scarlett together as a combo on SmackDown and have him attack Daniel Bryan. I think that Daniel Bryan would make a great first opponent if they wanted him in there right away with a name. I'm not really always a fan of that uh, because when you start out with a big name, you know, I mean, that could go south very quickly. uh, And I'm not really a big fan of beating these new guys out of the gate. I think there is something to be said for like, when you look at Ryback, when they debuted Ryback. For months, Ryback came out on television and would wrestle job guys and he got bored and so he started doing... One against two, one against three. He'd stack all three guys up on his shoulders and give him shell shock. And he got over more and more and more each week that went by. He got more and more over. And it got to a point where he ended up in a championship match against CM Punk because John Cena got hurt. That was the beginning of the end for Ryback when he got beat. It was all downhill from there. But for a while there, he was getting over. So you could also do the same thing with Cross. Maybe instead of putting him in there with Daniel Bryan, if 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 they're okay with not putting him in there with a big name straight away, uh, then he could run through job guys for a month or so you know, before getting into the real heavy matches. The point is he has to come off, no pun intended, as a killer. That's how this guy should be booked. He's got that look about him, that, that kind of intimidating look. He's a big guy. I'd send him to... If he had to go to the main roster, I'd send him to SmackDown. But if I could send him anywhere, it would be to NXT first. So there goes one of my predictions for the year. I thought MLW would try to lock this guy up the way they locked up Jacob Fatu. As they uh, search for a new TV deal. And then he'd also get to work indie shots for some of the bigger promotions. And he could really make an even bigger name for himself. I mean, after all that time that Impact had him on ice... You know, he's got to start to get back out there and build his name back up again. Instead, he went right for the big dog. And if they have any sense, they'll push this guy to the moon. Sky's the limit for Killer Cross. He can work, he can talk, he's a very good talker. He's got a presence about him, very few people have. I like the idea of him and Scarlet being put together. But I've been a big fan of his since the days of uh, him being the rabbit tribe leader on Lucha Underground, which was really my first exposure to him. This is a big signing. I was very vocal about this on Wednesday night on my Dynamite stream that this is a signing that AEW should have fought for and I have seen and read no indication whatsoever that any big fight was was put up. Now maybe Cross had it in his head that he wasn't going to AEW. I you know, his girlfriend worked for NXT. He sees WWE as kind of the big dog in town and maybe that's where his heart was set from day 1. Maybe AEW never even had a shot. But, you know, for all the stuff that, you know, was read about Cross, you know, negotiating or meeting with WWE, and this, which turned out to be obviously factual, there was some negotiation going on if he's signed to a contract now. I never heard a a single word about any kind of discussions with him and AEW. And it just blows me away. Now, maybe they did make an offer. Maybe they did, and we just never heard about it. But I've heard a lot about WWE having interest in him. Didn't hear a peep about AEW having the same kind of interest. Or if they made any overtures to him at all whatsoever. If not, that is a huge faux pas by AEW. They dropped the ball big time. Because he would have been a very big get for them. The Broserweights have quickly become a favorite act of mine on this show. They drove out in a custom-made golf cart. Carrying the Dusty Cup that they won the week before. Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly showed up. Fish said that they don't have time for them. They have bigger fish to fry. And Riddle, is he was just tickled to death that Bobby Fish said the word fish. And then he asked Pete Dunne, he said, How much fish could Bobby Fish fry if Bobby Fish could fry fish? And then he got the crowd to say it over and over again, or at least he tried to. I mean, that's a tough thing to (laughs) chant along with. But he tried to get one going. He tried to get a chant going. How much fish could Bobby Fish fish if Bobby Fish could fry fish? How much fish could Bobby Fish fry if Bobby Fish could fry fish? And he tried and, like I said, didn't quite work out. I don't think they're going to put that on a t-shirt either. Pete Dunne said that the only thing that matters is that takeover Portland, the two of them are going to smoke the Undisputed Era. And, uh done or uh, not done riddle was at it again last night i guess they were in his hometown they they were in vegas i guess or out in nevada somewhere and after the main event uh because i got sent video by uh one of my listeners who was at the show and i guess he shot this himself and he sent it to me on facebook uh i don't have time to mock it up and play it here but basically he got on the mic after the show thanked everybody and you know, last time I was here, I fought in the UFC and then a guy named Dana fired me. Of course, everybody booed Dana White. And he went and mentioned the fact that I guarantee you, I'm going to retire Brock Lesnar. And it was funny because you could see uh, Dunn, Champa and Johnny Gargano were sitting on the apron. And Riddle was in the crowd with the mic and they're watching Riddle. And as soon as he said that, as soon as the name Brock Lesnar left his lips... And again, he mentioned how he's going to retire Brock Lesnar. You can see Champa laughing, like, oh boy. And he looked over at Gargano, like, this guy's got a death wish. Because the rumors now, you know, the rumor, you've heard all the rumors this week about the heat that he's got. And Vince McMahon thinks it's very disrespectful of Matt Riddle. He's disrespecting the hierarchy of things in WWE by issuing these challenges to the top stars. And he's probably dooming his career is what he's doing. But uh, God bless the guy. He doesn't give a shit. He's got in in his heart that he's going to retire Brock Lesnar come hell or high water. He's going to be the one. I'm sure he won't be. Especially if Brock uh, really does not like the fact that Matt's running his mouth. I can't imagine Brock's going to want to work with him. But then again, Brock Lesnar is about one thing and one thing only. Brock Lesnar is about making money. And if there is money to be made, whether it's a year, two years, three years down the road, if there is money to be made from a match between Brock Lesnar and Matt Riddle, I bet you Brock Lesnar's tune would change very quickly. And we we will get to see that match at some point. Angel Garza, now on Raw with Zelina Vega, he beat Isaiah Swerve Scott with the wing clipper. He took the mic after, pointed out that he just beat Isaiah Scott. He beat his cousin, Humberto Carrillo, on Monday night. Then he took out Rey Mysterio, and he never lost his Cruiserweight Championship. So he wants it back and he said that he would be watching closely because Jordan Devlin was going to be wrestling on the show later on. Backstage, Undisputed Era, they were looking for Tommaso Ciampa. They walked by some random guy getting a haircut. So Roddy screwed up the guy's hair. Good. Serves him right for getting a haircut in the middle of a wrestling show. What do you think is going to happen in that situation? Dominic Dijakovic, he beat Killian Dane. Keith Lee walked out on stage after to confront him. He Will be getting a North American Championship match at TakeOver Portland. So that match is now official. Backstage, Undisputed Era ran into Kushida. They wanted to know where Champa was. He wouldn't answer them. And so Adam Cole gave him a DVD onto what looked like one of these giant laundry bins. Just kind of dumped him in there. Then Bronson Reed showed up. I almost said Bronson Arroyo. I don't know where that came from. Bronson Reed showed up and they beat him up too. Mara Ranallo hosted a face-to-face interview segment from uh, ringside. So Mauro stayed at the announce desk and then, quote, via satellite, I guess, Joey Gargano and, or Johnny Gargano. Boy, I'm on a roll here, aren't I? I'm having a JR moment here during my NXT review. I can't get anyone's name right. <laughs> Joey Gargano and Bronson Arroyo. What the fuck is wrong with me? Johnny Gargano and Finn Balor. Split-screen interview to promote their match at TakeOver Portland. Gargano said that he needs to beat the man who still stands as the longest reigning NXT champion of all time, the NXT Finn Balor. Not the Raw SmackDown Finn Balor, the one that lost to Bobby Lashley 17 times in a row. Johnny says he's going to take that NXT flag that Balor left behind and drive it straight through his heart. And Balor pointed out that he's got no heart. Sounds like a wellness violation to me. Be hard to be cleared without one, but Gargano always delivers on the takeover stage. Balor's been great recently, more vicious than usual, so I think this is going to be great. Mercedes Martinez beat Casey Catanzaro back on TV. It looked for a while like she may be done with wrestling, but she has decided to stay. Undisputed Era finally did find Tommaso Ciampa when he attacked them outside the building. And Ciampa laid everybody out except Cole. There was a brawl that broke out between them. They fought into the building. They brawled over by where the announce desk is. And they were about to put down Ciampa when uh, the Broserweights came out to make the save. And just a giant brawl erupted. A bunch of officials come out, try to break it out. William Regal came out doing you know, his uh, his announcement about a tag team match being formed for the main event. And the brawl continued even beyond his announcement. Jordan Devlin, in his first NXT appearance as the new Cruiserweight champion, he pinned Tyler Breeze in a very good match. 15 minutes they gave these two. You can see why Shawn Michaels is so high on Devlin. He is uh, super talented. Now he's being exposed to a bigger audience. Bianca Belair came out to say that Rhea Ripley must have forgotten that the two of them have a match coming up at TakeOver Portland because she's been so busy showing up on Raw worrying about Charlotte Flair. That brought out Charlotte in her return to Full Sail. She uh, looks a bit different than uh, I remember her looking in Full Sail many years ago. Almost like a different person. The woman who eliminated Bianca Belair from the Royal Rumble match. Charlotte Flair. Ripley is out next. Out comes Rhea. We get a stare down with her and Charlotte. Bianca tries to work her way into uh, things and Charlotte kind of shoes her away. That did not sit well with Bianca. She's very upset that Ripley is looking past her and Belair tells Charlotte that she's the one that she's going to be facing at WrestleMania. This is a conversation for champions, Charlotte said. Go fix your braids. And Rhea actually stood up for Bianca and said you can't disrespect her like that. The two of them ganged up on Charlotte. They jumped her. They picked her up. Electric chair into the front face plant. So we never did get an answer from Charlotte about whether or not she is going to challenge Rhea Ripley for the NXT title at WrestleMania. I'm wondering if we might get a disputed finish in Portland that leads to a triple threat of Mania. If they really want Bianca to be part of this. Because they love their triple threats. We saw this last year with Charlotte and Becky and Ronda. You know, would they set up for a triple threat at WrestleMania with all three of them? So that way Charlotte avoids being pinned by an NXT star. Uh, Or it protects, you know, Rhea by not pinning her. And maybe Charlotte pins Bianca instead. Bianca is is very good. She's an incredible athlete. Uh, She deserves a bigger stage. But my God, am I sick of seeing these triple threats. One-on-one is the bigger match to do. Just do the right thing. Charlotte versus Rhea. Rhea goes over. Very simple. It's all you need to do. Tommaso Ciampa and the Broserweights beat Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, and Bobby Fish by DQ. Roderick Strong interfered. This led to an angle where the Velveteen Dream returned to attack the Undisputed Era. So out comes Velveteen Dream. That video we saw with the circles with the 2 and the 5 and the 20 was in fact in reference to the returning Velveteen Dream. We have not seen him in about, uh, probably what, four months now, I guess, since they shot the angle with Undisputed Era taking him out. We never actually saw them take him out, but he was left for dead in the back. He had the bad back. And uh, when the lights came back on here, lights went out. When they came back on, Dream was up on the top rope, and he jumped off, and he wiped out all the heels. He was wearing tights with Roderick Strong's wife and kid, airbrushed onto them, a la Ravishing Rick Rude, even did the old Rick Rude hip swivel so this was a total tribute to Rick Rude so the dream is back and you know who knows maybe he gets the uh, the next shot at Adam Cole's NXT title of Champa fall short in Portland maybe dream wins the championship Wrestlemania weekend I I still like my idea John Cena wants to do something at Wrestlemania he's made that very clear they're going to be in his backyard they're going to be in Tampa He is willing to do whatever the company wants him to do. Whatever role they feel that they want to come up with for him, he's all in. Last year, he he rapped in the ring with Elias. He says, I'll do that. I'll do whatever the company wants me to do. When you have John Cena telling you that I will do whatever the company wants me to do at WrestleMania, and you're looking to put on some big matches at WrestleMania, how do you not put John Cena in a match? Unless uh, the movie studios say that he can't for some reason. It sounds like he's willing to do a match. I just, I would be stunned if Vince McMahon said, no, we don't want you in a match. <laughs> just would be totally counterproductive, like counter to everything that I would expect that this company would want in terms of star power. And on the prediction show, I said that they promote a match between Cena and Velveteen Dream. Now that looks a lot less likely now, now that he's back in NXT. But Cena's on record as saying that of all the NXT talents that people maybe wanted to, who do you want to wrestle and get in the ring with? He handpicked Velveteen Dream. He had a lot of praise for Velveteen Dream. I'm sure he'd love to work with him. I can think of no bigger stage than WrestleMania with Dream going over on him. So there's still time to do it. I know it's unlikely, but there's still time to do it. So uh, Adam Cole needed three staples to close up a cut that he suffered in this uh, match. Tommaso Ciampa, he might be dealing with an ankle injury of some kind. He was selling the ankle. The camera sort of tried to shoot around him uh, when he was out on the apron, favoring it during the main event. It could just be an angle. It could just be a really good job of of him selling. Uh, If it is an ankle injury, it didn't look overly serious. So I'm sure hopefully he'll be fine for uh, the takeover show. And uh, we'll do takeover predictions. On the show next week. Usually the takeovers are on a Saturday. Since this one's on a Sunday. And we have one more show left. I'm going to wait until next weekend to do my predictions. NWA power. I am in mourning. The NWA has replaced. Dawkins into the fire. As their theme song. With a new song. Well I mean it's not new. It was released a decade after. Into the fire was released. But they have jumped decades. They have jumped from the 80's. To the 90s with I'm Broken by Pantera. An appropriate name since I am broken. It's a good way to describe me right now over this news. It just does not fit as well as Dokken did. I saw Dave Lagana on Twitter said that they made the change to keep things fresh on the show. I'm a big believer in if it ain't broke, don't fix it. There was nothing wrong with Dokken. I mean, the Pantera song, it's okay. I'm not a huge fan of it first time i ever heard i'm broken was of all things on an episode of beavis and butthead believe it or not they actually did not just play guar videos all the time although guar was their favorite band and and those guar videos used to freak me the hell out when i was younger but it was the episode where they're walking through the construction site and butthead crawls into a pipe and gets stuck that was the first time i ever heard that pantera song when they played the music video Tim Storm is out for a promo with Joe Galley. Says that he went to the NWA's management and told them that he wants to be in the heavyweight mix and prove himself against the very best, hence why he has agreed to have a match or he has uh, requested a match with Tom Latimer next week of Strictly Business. Galley asked about the rumors that he's considering retirement and he denies it. And Latimer and Camille come out. Galley and Latimer is a very lucky man, by the way galley suddenly gets word all of a sudden in his headset of something he says uh i thought he was going to tell us he just found that he saved 15 percent on his car insurance by switching to geico and they would do some kind of weird product placement uh, but they didn't do that i would i would do that i hope someone from geico is listening let's let's uh talk turkey galley said that he was getting word from the back that mama storm was in the house and out walked the man dressed in drag as storm's mother and I mean, this, this this was not like old day skit bad on Monday Night Raw, but this wasn't great either. Although I did laugh at the line about Storm being so old uh, that he's got an autographed picture of Moses on his wall at home. Mama Storm also wanted her son to retire so that he could go back to teaching and learn how to win a match. Tim Storm is such a gentleman. Instead of beating the hell out of this guy, he just stormed off. Oh, see what I did there? Stormed off. Matt Cross beat Caleb Conley with the shooting star press to position himself, if not as the next challenger, as a challenger for the television title that Ricky Starks uh, currently holds. Ricky was on commentary for the match. This was more fast-paced than your average NWA match, uh, which, I mean, given who was involved is not surprising. Uh, Very cool to see Matt Cross doing more with the NWA. He was one of the... uh, Tried and true on Lucha Underground. You could always uh, depend on him to go out there and have a great match. We got a video with Nick Aldis reminding us that it's been over 400 days since he recaptured the 10 pounds of gold. I'm still trying to get rid of those uh, 10 pounds of fat that I gained from the Jericho Cruise. But the number that he was more concerned with was 7, as it has been 7 days since he challenged Marty Skrull to accept his money-back guarantee stipulation. For a championship match at the Crockett Cup in April, he has heard nothing since then from Marty. He said Marty could present the counteroffer if he'd like to, but his patience is wearing thin, and he wants an answer from him at the Ring of Honor Free Enterprise event, which takes place uh, this afternoon, as a matter of fact. Uh, As I'm recording this, I think it begins in about an hour or two. So they're having their Free Enterprise event today, and I suppose we'll uh, get the next... Piece of the puzzle here in this ongoing storyline. On today's show, by the way, all this is teaming with Roosh to take on Skrull and PCO. So I like that Ring of Honor and the NWA are working together. And Ring of Honor is, is also working more again with New Japan. I think it benefits everybody when you work together. I guess unless you're WWE. If you're WWE, they may look at it and go, how does it benefit us? We're already the big dog in town. It benefits you more than it benefits us. So I, I kind of get that. I still believe everybody benefits, though, in the big picture when you work together. The Pope has decided to hitch his wagon to the Dawson's, not that Pope, you know, Pope D'Angelo De Niro. has decided to hitch his wagon to the Dawson's and not Eddie Kingston and Homicide, as they failed, according to Pope, to take advantage of the tag team title match that he had gotten for them. He and Homicide had no star power, he says. That brought out Eddie Kingston. Eddie Kingston is one of the top three talkers in all of wrestling at the moment. Easily. Easily. Samoa Joe is another. Uh, Nick Aldis might round out that group. I, I That's a solid top three, I think, right there. Just off the top of my head, in no particular order. Nick Aldis, Samoa Joe, and Eddie Kingston. Maybe the three best talkers actively right now in all of wrestling. He said, NWA management asked him, and I'm not getting messages from people now, reminding me of everybody I forgot. (laughs) That's just off the top of my head. Those are the three names that came to mind. So uh, he says, NWA management asked him to behave. So for example, when he went to go grab a screwdriver from underneath the ring, he didn't use it. Same with the wrench that he wanted to go grab and beat the hell out of the Pope with. He said that he should rip out the Pope's tongue. For what he just said. He called homicide a New York City legend. He said that he helped train some of the very best in this business. He said homicide saved his life. Homicide saved him from suicide. He would die for that man. Pope is lucky that he doesn't bury him right now where he stands. The fire in Kingston's voice here. You believe every fucking word coming out of this guy's mouth. This was great. He said he recruited somebody else for tonight to fight Pope's group. And out came the bouncers from Ring of Honor, the Beer City Bruiser and Brian Malonis. And they briefly uh, fought off the Dawsons and they uh, scrammed. And that was the whole segment. I assume this is leading to a match maybe this week. So again, more Ring of Honor uh, tie-ins there. Then we got a segment with May Valentine. Her vlog. May's vlog. Talking about her boyfriend Royce Isaacs of Strictly Business, finally winning a match last week they but they booked this guy to look like such a job like such a jabrone. It's just weird that he's part of the uh, what is really the top heel faction in this uh, company but uh, anyway, she mentioned that he got very jealous of Sal Renaro. Sal Renaro was the guy that was sitting in on commentary last week with the broken arm. And uh, I guess, I don't know if if Sal was talking to May and then Royce saw this and got jealous. Anyway, she's talking about all this stuff I really didn't give a shit about. Uh, Apparently Royce is the jealous type and uh, did not like her making a new friend in Sal. Have you seen Sal? I don't think Royce has anything to worry about. Then again, I could say the same thing about looking at Royce, and I'm kind of surprised that May Valentine would be with him, but... Never judge a book, as they say. Never judge a book by its cover. That's why I still hold out hope for Katrina one day. Aaron Stevens went to a 10-minute time limit draw defending his NWA national title against Trevor Murdoch. Murdoch locked on a sleeper hold, 30 seconds left in the match. Stevens dropped down for a jawbreaker. Time ran out. Murdoch connected with a bulldog off the top rope. But This was after the bell, so he did get a visual pin, but a visual pin is not an actual pin. Zicky Dice was backstage, and he said that if the NWA YouTube channel can get to 284,000 subscribers by March 1st, he will do one thing that the fans want him to do. It could be anything, just one. Now, right now, I, I don't actually, I haven't checked today. Uh, a few days ago, they were at 185,000 subscribers on the channel. So that's about 100,000 new subs the NWA needs in less than 30 days. That's uh, very ambitious. See, what I want him, I want him to change his name. I would say that if they get to 284,000 subs, that Zicky Die should change his name to uh, Sticky Rice, just because I'm stupid and I think it's funny. Hopefully my voice carries some weight. And if they hit their mark, he'll change his name. No welching now. No welching. We don't like welchers. He promised that he would do anything. I think it's only fair. Sticky Rice, Heidi Fleiss. I'm open to suggestions. But I think he should have to change his name. We got the closest thing to one of the old event center updates that we used to have with Sean Mooney. Giving us a two minute update on all of the happenings around the NWA. I love this. I I was hoping they would use him this way when they signed him. Uh, he reminded us of the new Lucky 7 rule for the TV title where if the champion can rack up seven straight wins or uh, time limit decisions, they count two. He would then receive a shot at the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. And so he threw it to a backstage promo with Ricky Starks right after Ricky won the television title at hard times. And Ricky is talking about how it's taken me nine long damn years to get to this point. because goes, they should call me tempur the way that people have slept on me for so long even the tempur social media team took note and replied to the video to say no one is sleeping on Ricky Starks after this one I think Ricky's great I, I love his promos just his cadence just I don't know there's something about the way he cuts promos I just I, I love it James Storm and Eli Drake the new NWA tag team champions no promo this week no promo He's right to the ring, all action, they got a win over Mims and Josephus, his first match back since being suspended for throwing powder into Colt Cabana's eyes, although this question mark guy that we see every week, he looks an awful lot like Josephus, maybe it's his uh, brother or something. Main event was a rematch from Hard Times with Thunder Rosa defending, see I've tried to roll my R's, I can't do it. I love it when, like, some of the announcers do it. It just sounds great. And then I try and I I fail. Like, I was going to do it here and I thought better of it. Like, if I try, it's just, it's not going to work. Like, thunder, I can't do it. My tongue, I can't do it. There's something wrong with my tongue. My tongue muscles. It's just, I'm incapable of, it's like that, uh, that hand gesture that people do. uh, What is it, may the force be with you or something? That uh, Star Trek uh, hand gesture. Was it Star Trek, right? Star Wars? Is it Star Trek? I think it's Star Trek. May the force be with you. I can't do it. I can't, like Vader used to do it. I can't do it. My fingers, I can't spread them apart like I have to like literally hold my fingers out with my other hand. It doesn't work. Why can't I do these things? When I was a when I was a young boy, I was told I could do anything. And I can't roll my R's. I need somebody to help me out with this. So we have Thunder Rosa defending her newly won NWA women's title against the former champion, Allison K. I can't say it was better or worse uh, than their hard times match because I never got to see the full match since I never saw the full pay-per-view. I know that match went 20 minutes. This one went half that, but this was good. Uh, Rosa was getting ready to attack K near the end when Marty Bell walked out and ended up distracting both women. And they told her to get the hell out of there when Ashley Vox and Tasha Steeles walked out to make sure that she did not get involved. Roll up from behind by Rosa, Kay kicked out. Death Valley driver to Allison K, but she kicks out again. And finally, Thunder Rosa hits a flapjack onto the top rope and rolls up Allison Kay for her second straight win. Rosa was not thrilled with Melina or Marty after the match. She walked off on her own. So between the Caleb Conley-Matt Cross match and the main event with the women... Uh, there was This was a big upgrade in terms of the wrestling. The actual in-ring wrestling this week on this show. But that promo by Eddie Kingston lit this thing up like a Christmas tree. Now, RSPW Rewind is going to be back next week. Uh, I've got a good one lined up for you. I, I wasn't sure time-wise if I'd be able to fit it in this week. So, uh, we're going to take a break this week. Bring it back next week. Uh, the only hint I'll give you is that it uh, kind of involves a pivotal event during the Monday Night War period, and some of the reaction to it. It's a good one. So that'll be back on the podcast next week. I've got two mailbag questions. I didn't have a chance to put any more of them in this week. Uh, I'm going to do the first one, and then there's a non-wrestling one. But I would ask you to stick around, because I think you might be entertained by it. But this first one comes from Juan from Mexico. And remember, if you want to email me anything at all... Uh, or questions for the mailbag, thesolomonster at gmail.com, thesolomonster at gmail.com. I feel bad for that poor guy who's got just solomonster at gmail.com. He's probably been very confused over the last 12 years. (laughs) Poor bastard. So again, thesolomonster at gmail.com. Please include your name and where you are from when you write in. Juan from Mexico, I was wondering if you can tell me more about the WWF show Super Astros. Well, Super Astros was a WWF show that was geared to the Latin audience. It did not even go for a full year. I thought it went something like nine months, and then I looked it up, and it actually went less. It only lasted about six months. It premiered in the fall of 98, right right in the heart of the Attitude Era, and by the summertime, I think by June of 99, it was already off the air. Now, I wanted to see if the episodes were available to watch online, and and some of them are. The first eight episodes are up on YouTube, and it's funny because when you watch the beginning of the show where they have the, the intro, all of the top stars from the Attitude Era are featured in the intro. You see, you know, Stone Cold and The Rock and all these people, none of whom ever probably even appeared on the show, but they would sprinkle in like a Latin face here and there. Like you know, as if they're on the same level in, in WWE as uh, Stone Cold and The Rock and Triple H and The Undertaker, and then boop, there's this guy. It's just funny to me. But they had guys like Papi Chulo, uh, who would become S.A. Rios, Cayentai, El Hijo del Santo, you know, wrestled on the show, El Torito, not the El Torito from uh the Bull costume many years later. This was the uh, an earlier. El Torito. El Torito, some of the Mexican minis, Max Mini. I know they wrestled on there. But after six months, it was gone. I guess it just wasn't a uh, success. And you watch the shows, and you can see why. I mean, there just wasn't a whole lot of... It just didn't seem like there was a whole lot of effort put in there. And uh, so that was it. It was a short run. But if you want to watch the first eight episodes, you can find them on YouTube. And now this last question. It does concern non-wrestling stuff but I think you may be entertained by this anyway. I got a tweet from Travis alerting me to another tweet from an account called 90% Mets. 90% of this person's tweets are related to the New York Mets, hence the name 90% Mets. This person put together on his own a tournament bracket in the spirit of March Madness, which is coming up soon. He calls it Met Madness. Listing 32 of the most bizarre Mets-related stories of his lifetime. He could have expanded this bracket from 32 to 64. But we can add a few more here as we go along. I'm going to read off each of these. And even if you're not a Mets fan, even if you're not a baseball fan, you will not believe that some of these are even real. But they are. Oh, they are. <laughs> you don't have to be a baseball fan to enjoy this. If you are a lifelong Mets fan like I am, I mean, I went to my first Mets game. I had to be five years old probably when I went to my first Mets game. I still have the uh, the yearbook hidden away somewhere that I got from one of the games that year from Shea Stadium, uh, whatever, whatever year that was, well, probably 87 or 88. I got that laying around here somewhere. So for me, I've been a lifelong Mets fan. You probably know, if uh, you are the same, about many of these events. You know about them all too well. Some of you can chalk it up to bad luck. You know Others you can chalk up to just sheer incompetence. And this is appropriate given the latest fiasco involving this team, the news that broke this week. Fans have been clamoring for years for the Wilpons to sell the team. They blame ownership for all of the team's problems, not winning a World Series in over 30 years, although they did come close five years ago. Then a few weeks ago, this billionaire hedge fund manager, Steve Cohen, worth something like $13 billion, huge Mets fan, he already owns an 8% minority stake in the team, reaches a deal, or is close to a deal, for 80% ownership of the team. He's going to take ownership of the team, majority ownership, away from the Wilpon family. For $2.6 billion. The Mets are going to be sold for $2.6 billion. With Fred Wilpon, the owner of the team, and his son Jeff, keeping their titles and staying on for five more years. And I you remember hearing that and thinking to myself, well, that's bizarre. What person, what millionaire or billionaire is going to put their money in to, to the tune of $2.6 billion and agree to basically what keep his hands off and let the people still run the team for five more years who would agree to that but the fans rejoiced they were excited finally we're going to have all this money now put into the team and we're going to it's going to be a fresh start for the team this is great and then this week the deal collapsed reportedly because the son jeff screwed the whole thing up and didn't want to give up control or they wanted to extend that five year period whatever it was I mean, nobody knows for sure. Whatever it was, who the hell would spend $2.6 billion of their money on anything and not want to take full control right away? So the deal is dead. Cohen says he gave it his best shot. That's the story of the Mets. They give you that one glimmer of hope, and then they snatch it away from you, just like that. We're having a great time here in New York lately. The biggest media market in the world. We have the Mets, the Jets, and the Knicks where the owner was just serenaded by 20,000 people the other night in Madison Square Garden with chance of sell the team because the Knicks may be an even bigger embarrassment than the Mets. Maybe. I don't know. It's, it's pretty close. All of this comes only a few weeks after the Mets got rid of their newly hired manager, Carlos Beltran, who was ousted after uh, being revealed as a central figure in that whole Houston Astros uh, cheating scandal back when he was still a player. So before he even took the field to manage a single game for the New York Mets, he's gone. And it's only February. (laughs) Pitchers and catchers don't even report until tomorrow. I can only imagine what surprises await us for the 2020 season. Now those are only two of the most recent examples of the Mets' good fortune. Here's 32 others from this Mets Madness Bracket. Place your bets now on which one you think is going all the way to the end. I'll reveal at the end which one I think would be the winner in my bracket. I'll be, uh, as I go along here, I'm going to be filling in descriptions for each of these on my own just to give you some context. We have Kevin Mitchell, who played for the 86 Mets that won the World Series, the last Mets team that won the World Series. He once decapitated his girlfriend's cat in a fit of rage. Now, this has been an urban legend over the years. His ex-teammate Doc Gooden is the one who told this story in his book. It's never been proven. And when you consider Doc Gooden's history, I mean, I'd be skeptical of anything he says. But it made the bracket. So we have a uh, a decapitation here as the first entry in the bracket. Always a good way to start. There was the time that the Mets' official Twitter account tweeted out a photo in the clubhouse with a large dildo sitting in Kevin Ploiecki's locker in full view. See that one, I think is kind of funny, actually. That was that was a rib on him. I, I think that's kind of funny. We had the eighty-six brawl with four Mets players and two police officers at a bar in Houston. We have uh, after the Mets manager Bobby Valentine said that he thought baseball was ready for an openly gay baseball player. He was asked a question by a media member. He was asked the question, and he said, "I think baseball's ready." For an openly gay baseball player. Mike Piazza, who played for the Mets and was and was one of the biggest stars in the Mets, who was not named in any of this, although there were rumors about his sexuality floating around, but this was just Bobby V answering a question. Nobody said anything about Mike Piazza. But Mike Piazza <laughs> called a press conference the next day to announce that he is not gay. I am not gay, he says even though nobody ever explicitly said he was, he called a press conference to announce that he wasn't gay. There was the fiasco with Carlos Beltran when he went in for surgery. I think it was uh, was a microfracture surgery or something on his knee. He went in for surgery that the Mets claimed they weren't even aware of. And the owner of the team tried calling him while he was in surgery. Two years ago, there was the embarrassing moment when the Mets were called out by the umpires for batting out of order. Yes, that actually happened. We had Bernie Madoff. I mean, need I say more? You know, the Wilpons lost their ass on their investment with Madoff, and it hurt the team. And it, and really, I think in a lot of ways, it is still continuing to this very day to hurt the team. And that's why they're looking to sell. Uh, let's see. We've got our GM, Brody Van Wagenen sending pitching changes from the living from his living room see I hadn't heard that one before maybe I just blocked that out of my memory I do remember Brody last summer in his first season as the GM for the team throwing a chair in a fit of rage in the clubhouse during a team meeting that I do remember we have Vince Coleman throwing firecrackers is the next entry here in the bracket Coleman was playing for the Mets at the time they were in they were out in LA they were playing the Dodgers. He tossed the firecracker out of the Jeep that he was riding in, in the Dodger Stadium parking lot. And three people were injured, including a one-year-old. What an idiot. That same season, after the uh, cherry bomb attack, I think it was a cherry bomb that he threw. That same season, after the cherry bomb attack, another player, another Mets player, Brett Saberhagen, he squirted three reporters in the clubhouse with a water gun filled with bleach. We had the time a few years ago that Mr. Met gave the middle finger to the fans. Now what happened is, some fan was saying things about Mr. Met's mother, and the person in the costume as they were headed back through the tunnel turned around and gave them the finger. I can't even say middle finger because Mr. Met only has three fingers and a thumb. But somebody shot video of it with their phone, and they, they weren't fired, but that person never wore the Uh, Mr. Met costume ever again. He was reassigned to uh, some other job within the organization. We had Matt Harvey, not to be confused with his brother, Jeff Harvey, who wrestled for WWE. We had Matt Harvey, drunk and heartbroken, misses a game. Ah, yes. Yes, indeed. Matt Harvey was out partying until 4 a.m. on a Friday night because he was distraught after seeing photos of his gal pal, uh, Adriana Lima out on the town with Julian Edelman of the New England Patriots. And he was so hammered that he no-showed the Mets game the next day. And he ended up getting suspended for three days without pay. We had Daryl Strawberry attacking his teammate, Keith Hernandez, on Team Picture Day in 1989, when the team was having its yearbook photo taken. They nearly came to blows. They had to be restrained and pulled apart. And uh, they made up afterwards, but uh, yeah. Team, team Picture Day took a very dark turn in uh, 1989. We had the team's general manager back in the late 90s, Steve Phillips. Took a leave of absence after being accused of sexual harassment. Not the first, not, not, not the uh, last time that would happen with Steve Phillips. We had Carlos Beltran being fired as the team manager before a single game. That's on here, I just talked about that. And uh, rounding out the left side of the bracket, Brandon Nimmo poisons himself. The Mets uh, outfielder, he got hit by a case of food poisoning after eating undercooked chicken that he had prepared for himself. So he poisoned himself. And the uh, manager said that they would have to teach Nimmo how to cook. We shift over to the right side of the bracket. And our opening contest, scheduled for one fall is Ioannis Cespedes being attacked by a wild boar. Cespedes is one of the best players on the Mets. I mean, he's been injured now for the longest time, but he's one of the just best hitters that we've got. And he fractured his right ankle. I think it was uh, the year before last. He fractured his right ankle while he was on his ranch. Now, the Mets originally said he took a violent fall after he stepped into a hole and he twisted his ankle About a month ago, though, we actually learned the full story, which is that he has traps all over his ranch, including for boars. And I guess one boar escaped, or they were removing one from the trap, and it either charged at Cespedes or it scared him in some way, it startled him, and that caused him to step into a hole, and he fractured his ankle. No word on whether the boar managed to escape, although I hear he's now in witness protection working at a Cinnabon. Matt Harvey, back to Matt Harvey again. The year before he stayed out too late because he was depressed over Adriana Lima uh, being seen with uh, Julian Edelman, he missed his final spring training start due to a bladder infection that caused a blood clot in his urine. All because, and I quote, I hold my urine in for too long. So because he held it in and didn't pee for a long time, he got an infection and he missed the game. Vince Coleman, the same year that he tossed that cherry bomb, also inadvertently injured Doc Gooden after swinging a golf club in the Mets clubhouse, causing Gooden to miss his next pitching start. Just last season, in 2019, Mets manager, oh I guess now ex-manager, Mickey Calloway, he cursed at a New York Newsday reporter who merely said, see you tomorrow, after Calloway's usual post-game press conference concluded in the clubhouse said, see you tomorrow, Mickey. And Callaway responded by calling him a motherfucker and then demanded that he leave the clubhouse. And when he didn't, Mets pitcher Jason Vargas, ever the tough guy, threatened to knock him out. I'll knock you the fuck out, bro, he told him. "I'll Knock you the fuck out. That's what he told him. The Mets had to personally apologize to the reporter later that day. Imagine just saying to somebody, see you tomorrow. And they respond by calling you a motherfucker. And this is the manager of the team. This is not some f- player, some random employee. Unbelievable. Then we had Mets manager Bobby Valentine, after being ejected from a game. This is actually one of the greatest moments in Mets history. He later re-emerged. When you get ejected from the game, you're gone. You can't come back out. You've got to go to the clubhouse and stay there. So he gets ejected from the game. He later re-emerges. The cameras pick up on him re-emerging in the dugout wearing a fake mustache and sunglasses as some sort of disguise. Major League Baseball was not amused. They fined him $5,000 and suspended him for two games. But uh, I actually think that's one of the greatest moments in Mets history. Willie Randolph fired by the Mets at three o'clock in the morning. Ah, yes, the Mets fired. Now, when the Mets fired Willie Randolph, Willie Randolph is a known name in New York. He used to play for the Yankees. So he was the Mets manager for a while. And when they fired him, it wasn't really a big surprise because the team wasn't doing great. So you kind of knew he was on the bubble anyway. Team was no good. What they did, though, was they waited until he and the team flew all the way out to the West Coast for the start of a a six-game road trip. It was a long road trip. And it was maybe, I don't know, the second night maybe of the road trip. And this was after a game that they won. At 3 o'clock in the morning, so this is now after all the reporters will would have already submitted their stories for the next day, right? Very, very convenient how that worked. They fired him. They waited until 3 o'clock in the morning, and they fired Willie Randolph. Very classy. Very classy. We had Tony Bernazard, who was a Mets executive at the time, launched into a tirade on the bus with uh, one of their minor league teams. He ripped his shirt off. And he threatened to fight them. And he was fired a week later. Now that would be embarrassing enough. You would think that the Mets would want to play, you know, damage control. Let's sweep this up and and kind of move on from here. But they took a bad situation and they made it worse. So a week later, they fire him. They did a little investigation and they fired him. And they held a press conference. At the press conference to announce his firing, Omar Minaya, who was the GM at the time, he, in the middle of this press conference... I think he was asked a question by Adam Rubin, who is the Mets beat reporter for the New York Daily News. He accuses Adam Rubin, who broke the story on Bernazard, so I'm sure that pissed the Mets off. He accused him of angling for a job with the team. I guess insinuating that he was trying to discredit Tony Bernazard and and get him to lose his job, which would then create an opening for him to take his job. I, I guess that's what they were insinuating. So, now the Mets fired Bernazard, mind you. They found cause to fire him, which meant there was merit to the story. And so instead of dealing with one embarrassing story and moving on, they created another controversy by accusing the reporter who broke the story of having an ulterior motive for doing so. That may be the most Mets thing that the Mets have ever metzed. For a team known for its injuries, this one uh, may be a topper. A couple seasons ago, Noah Syndergaard. One of their best—actually, it might have been more than a couple of seasons—but Noah Syndergaard, one of their best pitchers, was diagnosed with hand, foot, and mouth disease. I—I I remember that season. I was waiting for another player to be diagnosed with the bubonic plague. Sometimes I think this team is a plague. There was the time that Doc Gooden missed the team's championship victory parade in 1986 because he was busy smoking crack in the Long Island Projects. We had the Mets mishandling of Ryan Church's concussion by uh, sending him on an airplane right after he had suffered said concussion, and we had the now infamous clubhouse poker game between Ricky Henderson and Bobby Valent or uh, not Bobby Valentine, Bobby Bonilla, during a playoff game in 1999. This was Game Six of the NLCS against the Braves. It was a back-and-forth game. It went into extra innings. One team would get the lead, the other team would tie. This was not some kind of lopsided event, and it was a playoff game. Game six. Now, they lost in the end, but for the last three innings of the game, Ricky Henderson and Bobby Bonilla were in the clubhouse playing cards, (laughs) and that created a whole shitstorm at the time, and you know, he said in, in later years, it's all Ricky's fault. You know, I think Ricky had been taken out of the game and was upset and he knew to calm him down. He you know, would play cards and he just went along with it. But just imagine your team is in the middle of this playoff game and everyone you know should be in the dugout on the step watching, even if you're not playing and they're playing cards. They're playing cards in the clubhouse. Speaking of Bobby Bonilla, there was the time that he once threatened physical violence, against a reporter and told him, I'll hurt you, I'll show you the Bronx. Well, that doesn't sound very nice. David Cohn is a pitcher He was once sued for sexual harassment while playing for the Mets and accused of luring three women into the bullpen at Shea Stadium and masturbating in front of them. Now, two of the women had their claims dismissed, I believe uh, he settled with the other one so there's always been a question of whether or not this ever really happened but hey look you know some guys chew sunflower seeds to let off some steam and you know other guys rub one out in the bullpen i guess so here we're now in the home stretch here with this bracket this this is one of my favorites this this may be the one last summer the mets were paying tribute to the 1969 Mets who won the team's first World Series it was 50 years ago 50 year anniversary of their first World Championship and they played a tribute video a very nice tribute video before one of the games last season to remember all of the players that have passed away the problem is two of the players that they pay tribute to and included in this uh, in memoriam video are very much still alive (laughs) I'm sure that was news to them and their families. There was the time that one of the Mets pitchers, Francisco Rodriguez, K-Rod, he assaulted his father-in-law in the players' family lounge at City Field. Always good to get some family time in there. And rounding out the bracket is the big controversy from 2002. Over, which is really silly now, all these years later, looking back. But this was a big controversy over a whole bunch of Mets players sneaking weed into Shea Stadium, and having a massive drug problem with marijuana at the time. Again, this would not be much of a story today, but I will say this, given their performance that year, if it proves one thing, it's that marijuana is definitely not a performance-enhancing drug. So I could go on and on. I mean, there's there's so many more not even included in this bracket. I really think he could have gotten to 64 instead of the 32 if he wanted to. I mean, you had Ray Ordonez one year saying he didn't want to play for the Mets anymore because the fans here are too stupid. You have to be perfect in every game, and he couldn't stand being here anymore. When one of your own players says the team's own city is filled with stupid people, that's not a good look. Or, or the, the year that the team failed to make the playoffs after blowing a 7 game lead in their division and losing 12 of their last 17 games that season. Yeah, that 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 hurt. That was an all-timer. That set some records. Tom Glavin riding in a cab, his cab to the stadium, his cab gets hit. I think he was going to the stadium. His cab gets hit by an SUV. He loses his two front teeth. Then 2 years later, Duaner Sanchez is in a cab, gets sideswiped by a drunk driver. He gets a separated shoulder. That ends his season. I think the lesson here is walk or take the train. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Marlon Byrd. Marlon Byrd being traded to another team hours before the Mets hosted Marlon Byrd t-shirt night at Citi Field. (laughs) I love this team. I I hate this team, but I love this team. Does that make sense? Am I making sense here? I I have a similar love-hate relationship with WWE with the Mets, it's very special. I do love this team. But from the choices given in the bracket, so if, I can only, if I'm can, if i only limited to what this person included in the bracket, who would be the winner? I don't know. You know, smoked crack and missed the parade is a tough one to beat, but so is honoring dead people who are still alive. Ugh, it's tough. It's tough. I'm going to go with honoring dead players that are still alive. The, the, the fact that that could even happen in an age where Google and Wikipedia exist is just inexcusable. Absolutely inexcusable. This Wednesday is a special Valentine's Week stream for uh, AEW Dynamite at 10pm as soon as Dynamite goes off the air. You can join me on the Solid Monster Sounds of YouTube channel for my live stream review and all the usual shenanigans that goes along with that. Uh, next weekend is episode 639 of The Sound Off. Next Sunday night, of course, is NXT TakeOver Portland, so I'll have my predictions. If I don't do it earlier in the week on YouTube, I'll I'll save them for the podcast next Sunday. And uh, we got a lot more content coming this month. My, my plan, I'm going to be going live on YouTube after NXT TakeOver. I don't always do that for the TakeOver shows. I will this time, so we'll have a TakeOver live stream that Sunday. And then the end of the month is going to be kind of crazy because we've got the final Dynamite stream of the month of February. That'll be on a Wednesday. Uh, My plan is to probably uh, review the Sweet Saudi Money Show live once that's over. So that's the next day. So that's that Thursday. And then that Saturday night is the AEW Revolution pay-per-view. And I'll be going live after that as well. So that would be three live streams in the span of like four days. On the YouTube channel. And then the next day is another sound off, a brand new sound off podcast. So uh, that would be March 1st. So between now and the end of the month, there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. It's going to be a lot of new content coming uh, that you guys have to look forward to. RSPW Rewind will be back next week. This is a free show, of course. So anytime uh, you want to make a contribution of some kind, support the show. Uh, I appreciate the hell out of you for it. You can always do the PayPal thing on the dot or join me for these live streams on uh, YouTube. If you want to do some uh, super chatting, it's always better to do uh, PayPal directly, but if you want to do some super chatting during the streams, that's always uh, a good way to help out the show as well. So I'll be back next weekend for six thirty nine, 39. And uh, before then, of course I'll see you Wednesday night for the dynamite stream until then be well, stay safe, have yourselves a great week. And a uh, happy Valentine's Day if you have somebody to spend it with. If not, join me. Spend your early Valentine's with me on Wednesday night. It'll be the best Valentine's you've ever got. You don't have to give me anything. I'll I'll give you the uh, the gift of uh, Solomonster. All you got to do is show up. I don't need chocolates. I don't need flowers. I don't need any of that nonsense. I just need you. Will you be my Valentine? I'll see you Wednesday night.
2: Maybe. The Sala
4: Monster sounds
2: off. Hello, Morrison versus Cole, Morrison versus Ben Balor. Morrison versus Tommaso Ciampa. Morrison versus Ricky. Let me ask you a question. Uh, Are Tampa you drinking v. during
4: the pay per view tonight? Uh, <laughs> I would Okay, I thought so See, I thought
5: so Okay The Solomonster Sounds Off Available wherever you hear podcasts Including iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and now Pandora Want more content? Visit youtube.com slash the for sound off extras and more And follow the Solomonster on Twitter at Solomonster.
2: Solo
5: Put that cigarette out Solomonster Sounds Off